Coming up, I have college basketball. I have a huge football trade. I have an NBA incident and I have the characters of the year. I have a lot going on on this pod. Looking forward to it. Here we go. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Unlike this podcast, some things in life should be boring, like banking, because boring is pragmatic and responsible, level-headed, wise, all the things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be exciting. Exciting is for three-point buzzer beaters, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money, because when your money is doing what you need it to, you can do all the unboring things you want to do with it. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group. Inc. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like Prestige TV, check out the Prestige TV pod. We have two OGs, Van Lathan, Rembrandt Brown. Been working with him since 2011. Can't remember on and off, but it's one of our guys. They're going to be breaking down every episode of Atlanta on the Prestige TV podcast where you can also find recent breakdowns of The Dropout, Bridgerton, We Crashed, and a whole bunch of shows that are coming up as well. House and I are going to be doing Winning Time on there. Maybe Monday, maybe we'll wait till the half season mark. Not sure yet as well, but follow the Prestige TV podcast. Follow the Rewatchables as well. We did Shooter with Mark Wahlberg on Monday night. Really fun one. Me, Shea Serrano, Chris Ryan. Hope you're checking out the newest Ringer podcast as well, The Town with Matt Bellany recently launched, as well as the revamped Ringer F1 show with Kevin Clark. Big F1 race this weekend. I'm kind of getting focused on it. Might have to start gambling on this. I, I haven't been able to pick my favorite race team yet, so um, I, got, I, I, got to, I got to come up with a solution. I can't just watch F1 unless I'm either gambling on or I have a favorite team. I'll figure it out. We're going to talk to Kyle Mann about Thursday night's tournament games and how it affects the lottery at the top. We are going to talk to Ben Solak from The Ringer about the Tyreek Hill trade, which is one of the most fascinating kind of big picture trades we've had in a while. We're going to talk about why in a second. And Tyler Parker from The Ringer. He's got his characters of the year for the basketball. And not mentioned in the characters of the year was the Jimmy Butler incident, which we are going to break down in detail. Our favorite comedy parts of the Jimmy Butler uh, incident with Eric Spolstra and Udonis Haslam. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. (laughs) 
All right, we're taping this first part of the podcast. It is 924 Pacific time. Just watched four college basketball games and a USA-Mexico game and a Denver-Phoenix game. It was an awesome sports night. Save this part of the pod. Just in case anything really fun happened, a couple of fun things happened. The first one for me, Jay Kyle Mann, who's joining us. You can hear him on the Ringer NBA show. You can see his videos on the ringer.com. Even he'll occasionally write something. Um, Most shocking thing for me, and I don't know what's going on, and I might have to see a therapist. I know a lot of people have been going to therapists during the pandemic. I find myself rooting for Duke. Oh, yeah. and, And not rooting for them like they're a Boston team or anything, but in these close games, first of all, I like watching them as a basketball team. There's so much bad basketball and March Madness. They're actually a basketball team that makes sense and plays well together. And, you know, they'll have defensive lapses on one end, but there'll be plays that kind of feel NBA-ish. But the Coach K thing, when it gets tight in the last five, six minutes, like you really feel it. You're like, is this it? Could, it, could this be done? Could this be the last run? And then they pull it out for him. They seem like they're playing hard for him. And I think I... I think I need a therapist. I, I need to talk about this. I never wanted to root for Coach K in my life, but I, I he's like the old guy. You kind of just can't resist rooting for it. Where do you stand on this? You're a Kentucky guy. It's tough, man, because I was thinking about this earlier. You know, as you you know this as like a blue blood NBA fan, like the other blue blood programs, I just don't want them to do well. I'm like, yeah, if if Kentucky doesn't win, I'm like, hey, let's let somebody new win. You know, why yeah. why why do we, we got to have another blue blood? Like our fan base gets really riled up whenever like we get we're pretty spoiled, as people know, we're we're pretty spoiled. We get riled up whenever it's like a head to head with blue blood type thing. The only time I've ever like really liked like I secretly rooted for Duke was when I was a kid and I like hadn't really moved into my full-fledged hating them phase right like I loved that 99 Elton Brand Trajan Langdon Chris Carwell I loved that team and I I remember being at like a Nike outlet and I I saw some Duke shorts on the rack and I was like dad can I have these and my dad legitimately told me no he said no (laughs) (laughs) he told me I couldn't have them so I mean that's how how far it runs deep but you're right I mean they're like they're so poised I mean I know it's fun to watch if you watch a lot of NBA there's just a this team has the size of an NBA team they have a true seven footer at the five they have a 610 guy who can handle and pass it which I'm sure we'll talk about at the four uh, and just the physicality for fresh for freshmen this is like one of the like strongest like weight room freshman classes I've ever seen on a college team Palo who I was on the fence as a top two guy before this game, I really liked how he played in this game. And I'm not going to do the thing we're overreacting to one March Madness game, but he did answer a couple questions for me, right? It, they needed him to score. They needed him to create. I think there was a stat. Duke made every shot they took in the last eight and a half minutes of the game. And he had a couple beauties. He had one of the things I didn't love about watching him was sometimes it seemed like he couldn't talk himself into the three. <laughs> and then he would wait a second and take it. Whereas like somebody like Jabari, it's just like that. It's, you know, he's a machine. He's like, Papa shot. But tonight, I thought he was really decisive. The spin stuff, the more I watch him, I just think that shit works in the pros when you get to the next level. Like, you're just constantly, he can spin both ways, too. And I think that's going to be effective for him. And he does have that little thing on the right block where he can kind of go down and immediately stop and get, like, somewhere between, like, a 7 to 10 footer pretty consistently. Um but I was impressed by him tonight. I thought he was good. And just in general, that team, you know, not surprising because they get the best 
prospects or some of the best prospects every year. They get the best ones. I mean, lately they have. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, t- they kind of yeah. took your guys thunder. This used to be you. This was you once upon a time. You used to get the best guys. Now you yeah. got guys named Ty Ty. <laughs> we, we didn't get to talk about this on Sunday. I mean, yeah, that's been like the big shift for Kay. And I think the big reason he's getting to Paolo in a second, but I mean, that's one of the big reasons he's remained relevant. I kind of had in my notebook, like a few talking points, like if Kay goes down, cause that's sort of a, that's a pretty big shift in terms of like what we're going to talk about, but obviously he didn't. But I mean, that's one of the reasons he's been able to maintain his longevity is he's found ways to stay appealing to top talent. And some of the top coaches don't always do that. You'll see him kind of move into these seasons of even Roy Williams in the in the 2000s. They just just got so much talent. Uh, Kentucky had it for a little while. Cal came in with the juice and he he had his like worldwide West. Like I'm a big believer in that. Like the agency shoe company stuff is absolutely a huge factor and. I think around like 2015, 2014, when like LeBron, Leon Rose, World Wide West thing happened, it shifted. All of a sudden you were seeing Duke, you were seeing Duke in like Nike commercials where, yeah, you know, it'd be like, oh, the kid comes through, through college. Duke just happens to be the college in the commercial. Oh, you know, LeBron, his son might be going to Duke. They just are kind of the school. But on Paolo. Wait, hold on. Any, Before we go to Paolo, quick on that. Yeah. And he loses Wes. And he loses, what, how long was Kenny Payne there? Cal still has a thing with Wes. I think the thing is just the, the, well, uh, Wes, the but the, Wes has a full job now, you know, that like he did have like a brain trust that I think definitely helped them. And those guys had a lot of tentacles in the high school ranks and, you know, could that, you know, they're, they're preaching the gospel of, Co- of coach Calipari yeah. and you lose that. And you look at the team he had this year, I was stunned by athletically you know, kind of how unimpressive Kentucky was compared to like that Duke team I just watched. Usually they were at least neck and neck with athletes. I know they had their biggest recruit ended up not playing for the whole year, but still. Yeah, they the, the Kentucky team, they it was a it was a machine that worked in in sort of uh, it, all the pieces had to be there. They just didn't have it. They had to run their stuff really religiously and really meticulously. And they just didn't have guys that could create their shots and want to create their own shot like at an elite level like Duke does. Like if you watch and the thing that's really clicked for Duke is Jeremy Roach. You know, yeah. we on Upside High, we talk about a little plug there. We talk about uh, college teams and we talked about Duke earlier in the year. And the thing that you would watch them is they would just kind of stagnate. They had a lot of finishers and like talent at the on the perimeter like AJ Griffin is like uh, he's posted one of the best like prospect shooting seasons ever. Uh, The kid does not miss. I swear to God. And then, you know, you got Mark Williams is like an elite lob threat at the college level on and on and on. But they just lacked like a creator to break down the defense. And you saw what happened tonight. Their point guard, Jeremy Roach, who was like a top 25 recruit. That's kind of the luxury you have. You're like, well, if this guy turns it on. Oh, he's also a top 25 recruit. Uh, They just look unguardable at times. Like whenever he's got it going. uh, Yeah. Kentucky just didn't. They had one guy like that, the guy, Ty Ty, and he got hurt and he just was never the same after he got hurt. He was babying it the rest of the season. So I'm watching pa- Paolo tonight and I was trying to, I've been trying to figure out every time I watch Duke, who does he remind me of? And I've landed on this and people are going to think this is insulting and it's not because this guy was really good. Jawan Howard during the mid nineties, the bullets era, Jawan Howard. He reminds me of a 2.0 version of him with more range because Juwan didn't have a three-point shot. But a lot of the same stuff, like the early Juwan, people remember like the 2000s Juwan when he started bouncing around, he was in Dallas. But like that early Bullets, 
coming out of Michigan pedigree, Juwan, the guy that Miami offered like 120 million for, he was just 20 and nine every night and he was just getting it and he was getting those numbers. And I think to me, Paolo has, has a little of that in him. It's just, he's really comfortable from that 18 to 19 feet. Um, I think he's a little more athletic than Juwan was, but Juwan was athletic back then. But Juwan mm-hmm. was a good facilitator passer too. They There was one season where the Bullets were playing him at the three because they had Wallace and Weber with him and he could do it. So, you know, I think the thing with Paolo is I think about him um, at the next level is I'm sure, you know, the teams will be pushing him as a four. But there is going to be the ability, I think, to go a little bit big sometimes if you have the right roster with him. I don't think he can be a stretch five, but, you know, you, you have a little flexibility with him. But I, I love the way he played tonight. And, you know, we'll talk about Chet in a second, but I thought Paolo, that he kind of needed that. I was out on him as a top two guy. Now I'm like kind of reconsidering it. I'm kind of, I've kind of gone the other way. I, I think he solidified him as, uh, like, he solidified himself tonight. I mean, I hate doing that. I'm not going to do that. But I mean, he, I had already been working that direction. Have, I had already kind of moved him ahead of Jabari. I had Jabari three. Oh, uh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. That oh, the, man. The, the big thing that I've always talked about, like the differentiator, whenever you're talking about like players that size, d- what the growth plate on their game, whenever you're trying to measure like where they can go, the like bridge to go. Uh, and this is the literal metaphor I used in my Jabari piece I wrote about him back in December, which nothing, if you want to go find that, my opinion hasn't changed. It's the same. But like the bridge to like a life as like a facilitator, like a superstar, like a Durant, Paul, at that size, like a Paul George, uh, the guys that can do it at that size. You're you're talking about guys that can really handle the ball. And Jabari and Paolo, there's just no comparison. And for me, the thing that's really started to swing is you were talking about his hesitancy. One of the things I always talk about with prospects is like that balance, like that bubble in the middle of the level. Like we talk about Jokic, his is dead center in the middle. That's why mm. he's unstoppable. Uh, Paolo's balance and discernment there is like a lot better than I think he's getting credit for. And if you watch down the stretch of this game, he made some just unbelievable drop-off passes. And if he's going to be able to make those types of reads off the dribble and he's going to be able to draw two, like draw doubles, draw help, uh, because off the bounce, he's just on another planet compared to Jabari. Like he, you, Jabari just settles and settles. I love Jabari, but he's just a different type of player. I'm, I'm starting to feel like Paolo, you're going to start to hear like a correction back where he's going to be starting to get talked about at one, in my opinion. Like, uh, and some of the comps for him early in the year, if we were like, if he's going to be like this inefficient, like insistent primary guy, he's proven he's not that guy. Uh, I, I've kind of come all the way back to, he was my favorite player before the year. I've been just wildly impressed with him during March. I think that with the Jabari thing, given how bad his guards were, I think it's impossible to almost <laughs> gleam anything from that true. season, you know? <laughs> and I just, to me, he's like Richard Lewis 4.0. Yeah. You put him with good guards and he's going to score. And I was listening to Tate and Titus with, uh, they were on the KOC on the void and both of them were like, he's 25,000 points. And I was thinking, man, that's a lot of points. It but is. With, the, with the three point shot, you figure that's 3,000 of the points are just like extra points on three. If you make 3,000 threes, so it's 22,000 points, but 3,000 are threes. I do agree that I think he's going to be a pretty automatic the way Richard was, um, you know, and that's in his Seattle, Orlando apex of just like he's going to make the three to four threes a game. He's going to do some other stuff. And he's, if he's on the right team, I'm with everybody who said put him with Cade. That would just be incredibly fun. 
you know, so I, it'll depend a little on who he's playing with, but let's agree that the Auburn situation was a catastrophe. That <laughs> yeah, was the, not, not what we wanted from him. The point that, that uh, I can't remember if it was Titus or Tate they made about um, him that you could, it depends on the lens you look at his like quote unquote settling. Uh, if you consider the guards he plays with, they were talking about how when he catches the ball, he's like, I have to shoot this because I'm not going to see it again. <laughs> right, I'm, it's the, like the pickup game. It's like, I'm never getting it back unless, unless I shoot it now. Right. So, I yeah. Feel- so I, I think it's really hard to judge dudes when they're in horrible college situations. And I just look like it's so easy for him to score and he's so tall. Who's going to be guarding him in the pros? Like it's going to be guys six five, six six, six seven. There's not going to be other him out there. Anyway, with the Palo thing, and I guess I guess this is going to lead to Chet in a second. Let's let's put a bow on on Duke because the Chet Chet I'm really starting to waver, and mm. it's not his fault that he fouled out. But um, there's some Chet stuff I want to discuss in a second. The Duke piece of this, they got Arkansas next round. I've somehow watched two full Arkansas games in this madness because they I, they they beat Vermont. Have you done in, that since like 1994? How no, long has it been? Probably not. Probably <laughs> since the Todd Day era. Yeah, they're good, man. They're really well coached and they're resilient. And I don't think that's going to be an easy one for Duke. I think people now are starting to think the Duke and we got North Carolina, UCLA tomorrow night. And now suddenly there's the Duke, North Carolina, just possibilities are now lingering over this Mm. tournament in a really interesting way. Um, You got Cousin Sal who at Arkansas at 65 to one. They're down to like 13 to one now. But it does seem like it's lined up for Duke, right? Most important, Gonzaga is out, you know, and and We've lost some big ass teams already, and I, I, I think it seems like it's shifting in Duke's favor. Yeah, I mean the field is just shaping up for them perfectly, um, and I, I kind of had a feeling once, once like I was telling you, like once Roach started to play well, I was like, this mm. field is is theirs to take uh, because it just changed everything for them. Arkansas is going to be this this uh, this region that they're in, you know, between Texas Tech and Arkansas and Gonzaga. If Duke is going to play like this, I mean, I would pick them against any of these teams. I just think that they're so physically imposing in a way that, like, Gonzaga has some size. Their guards, uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute. I mean, I thought they really shit the bed tonight and just got outplayed in every facet. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's shaping up to be like a Wooden's last season type thing where it's like K is going to go off as much as it, you know, nauseates me. It does seem like... Uh, <laughs> It's it does seem like it's just going to unfold like this. I don't know. It's so funny when they when the coach is getting a ton of camera time and it's like, what other sport does a 72 year old guy just get an incredible amount of camera time? It's like, there he is again. He's old. (laughs) He's wearing a pullover sweater. And he's (laughs) he's really leaning into the I mean, like the last game when like Griffin sprained, sprained his ankle. I was joking with Tate about this, actually, that like. He was really cashing in on the like comforting mentor thing. Like he went oh, out yeah. there and crouched down on one knee and like put his hand on his chest and he was just like, "It's gonna be all right." I was just like, "Okay, man." I mean, I, of course, I, every everything he does, I see it through the lens of like th- this fucking guy, you know. But he's, I mean, he's. The, <laughs> I, I do too, but I, but I'm realizing it as this goes. Like I'm, I'm gonna kind of miss it. It's like when you have that canker sore in your lower lip that you like to play with with your tongue, and it's like, ah, oh, it's not there anymore. It, it's better my canker sore. It's better for the it's better for the sport. I mean, it's kind of like I joked with you about I've kind of come around and I like love Rick Patino now. Like I really I mean, he mm. he made he made basketball in this state 
infinitely better just by being him, even though I rooted against him incessantly. Uh, it's the same thing with Kay. I mean, it's like the, you need the, you know, Batman needs the Joker. It's just like, it's, you need that balancing. It's more fun for there to be like a, a an empire, you know, evil emperor. He's not these things, but it's like everybody roots against him. And I, th- I no, think it's we'll like the Belichick, Belichick's like that too, right? So it's yeah. almost a credit to your success when you get to that point that everybody's rooting against you and looking for ways to discredit you. I saw, I was watching Blue Chips last night. Oh, hell and yeah. Patino. I forgot how much he gets lines. He's coaching George Lynch. and Oh, yeah, there you go. You have the boot chips hat. Just out of curiosity before we go to break, who do you think is the favorite right now to win the NCAA tournament on FanDuel, if you had to guess? Arizona's out. Uh, let's see. Is it a surprising answer? It is. I, okay. I was surprised. Is it North Carolina? It's Houston. Wow, that is surprising. Really? Houston is plus 350. Kansas is 4 to 1. Do you, you forget is, Kansas isn't even is even in it? Like I know. Uh, <laughs> it, well, they haven't added a memorable thing yet. Duke's yeah. plus 450. And then the team that I would probably bet on if just from everything I've seen so far is Villanova at 6 to 1 just cuz it's like I just like those teams with good smart guards, well coached, they don't beat themselves and they just they just are a machine. And that's Villanova's the closest to like, it's not that fun to say, oh, that team's really good with them. But they just take care of business. They're just methodical. Oh, they know yeah. who they are. It's kind of the players are interchangeable. You could take clips from this year's team and it could easily just be like the 2016 team. There's no way to really tell much of a difference. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a break and then I want to talk about shit. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drumroll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you rule. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, U.S. only. All right, Chad Holmgren. I think I definitely will. I definitely, he's out for me at one. And oh. I would have Jabari there right now. Okay. He's either two or three. Paolo, who I had ruled out for two, um, started to creep toward. And listen, this could change a hundred times with the YouTube clips, things like that. And it's not about him fouling out in the game today because this is what happens in the tournament. These centers, they're, they're always unkind to the centers in these tournaments with very few exceptions where we had like Ewing the one year and things like that. But for the most part, it's so easy for them to get into foul trouble. It's so easy for things to go wrong and them to get the ball, whatever. I worry about, there's, there's an athletic piece with him with the way guys were going at him the last couple games. Mm-hmm kind of unafraid of his size combined with the fact that I don't know how, how tall is he exactly? Is he seven one? I think he's seven one with his seven six wingspan, I believe. Right. Yeah. So he's got the wingspan, but Russell and I talked about this the other day. He's got that hunched over thing. So there are times he doesn't carry himself like a seven foot one guy a lot of the time. And I here's I house had the best take on this. 
I actually think he should stay in college a second year and fill out a little bit and kick some ass and do the whole thing. I think it could be potentially worrisome for him to come in right away because I don't think he's ready for an 82-game season against some of the dudes he's going to be going against. He felt really raw. Look, the skinny thing has been beaten to death. I hate when people compare him to Durant. It's fucking stupid. Durant was a unicorn. In Texas, he was putting up 27 and 10, and people are like, well, Durant was skinny. It's like, stop. Don't compare anyone to Durant. Stop. No, nobody's allowed to do this. Durant was one of the most can't-miss college guys I've ever seen. Please don't compare anyone to him. Chad is not can't-miss. I would bet on him making it over missing, but he's not can't-miss. And I don't know. I just would feel better if he stayed another year, filled out a little, really kicked some ass, had his own team without Timmy there, and did it. I know he won't do that. You gotta go, you gotta come out if you're gonna be a top three pick. You have to. I get it. But I do wish he stayed. Yeah, that'd be the question. You'd move to do that, you'd move from where to where. You move from what three to potentially one. I mean, another year goes by and maybe it goes the opposite way. Maybe people nitpick exactly. you even more. So and also the thing that always gets me to is just like these guys don't stop developing when they get in the NBA. I mean, they did they just start getting paid to develop. I know they're getting paid with the NIL thing in college now, but I, the thing with Chet, I guess, is the question of if is is he going to be enough of like a rim protector of like a defensive anchor, like high impact defensive guy to offset the fact that there are like concerns about him being like a high production offensive weapon. And you got to kind of ask yourself, where is that going to come from? I was like looking at his shot chart earlier. I mean, he's he's playing with a big, let's say next year he he gets picked by the Rockets and he's playing yeah. with like Shingun at the four. He has to play with somebody big and physical that can cut so he doesn't have to guard like true fives all the time. I could see so that he can kind of be like a free safety and just be really disruptive. Um, but if you look at his shot chart, I mean, it literally looks like a like a ski ball game. I mean, he has like at the rim in the paint, and then above the break threes. Those are the only three shots that he's taken. He's capable of a lot more, and he he did not shoot the ball well in like pick-and-pop situations this year. So we're speculating him, about him as a shooter. Did you, did you think that three was going in when they were down six and he had the wide-open three? And it was like, with, I think it was under three minutes left, and it was the biggest shot of the game, and he started to take it. And I don't know why, but I was like, that's not going in. He made one. Is that the one he made, or he he made no, one he from missed the left? This one. I think yeah. it was like sixty-two, fifty-six, something like that. But it was when he missed it. It was like, oh my god, they're gonna lose. But yeah. I didn't think it was going in, and I don't know what that means. That was just my gut instinct. I was like, he's not making this. He's not. He's not quite there yet as a shooter. But I mean, around the rim, he's a pretty high efficiency like finisher. Um, he's he's a good passer too. That's the other thing. It's, it's a kinda, really good passer. Yeah. Do you want to know my dad's take? What's that? I was talking to uh, my dad and he was like, I don't know. He reminds me of who's that guy in OKC. He reminds me of that guy. I was talking about Poku. <laughs> I was like, you oh, no. that. oh, God. <laughs> You're horrified, He's compared right? to Poku. Uh, yeah, but he's my dad is just like an eye test. I don't I haven't seen that guy's physique slash body in the NBA before. So prove to me this will work kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I, as I said, I like Chet. I don't think he's going to be a bust. I don't think this is like a, you know, this is not like a the beat thing. Like the, the beat thing was nuts. I never understood the, the beat thing. I thought it was insane the whole time. You just watch him run and you're like, wait a second. That's something's off here. Chet 
we'll be fine. But the the problem, and this has happened in the league sometimes, these guys come in too early and you become the pinata and everybody's trying to dunk on you and push you around and you can lose like a little confidence and a little swagger. And if you're on the wrong team, all of a sudden that can go sideways. Like, I think Marvin Bagley is a good example of this, even though they're totally different players of like bad situation, couldn't get his feet under him. And then all of a sudden now he's like on freaking Detroit trying to rebuild his career. I don't think Marvin Bagley's a bad NBA player, you know, but yeah. sometimes it's how it plays out. Yeah, I would say my my thing about that is that like that is Chet's whole life as a player. I mean, I think people have looked, he's been hyped and all through, people have been trying him like his whole yes. career going Very at fair. him. Trying to, there's this, you know, there's this big, skinny, scrawny white boy who everybody says is great. I'm going to go try to dunk on this dude. That has been his life as a basketball yeah. player. And he's used to it. And he's a tough guy. And I, and I, I think, I think that can kind of get underrated sometimes. Like, you know, Arkansas was like, those weren't fouls. Like the last three, the the last three fouls that got called on him tonight were just utterly ridiculous. And and I and I know people are going to want to overreact to tonight's game. He never got into a rhythm. Uh, and if you kind of, I don't think that you can take it at face value at all. Um, but I mean, the question you just got to ask yourself is: Is he going to be as high impact enough at the things that he's good at? Is he going to be better at those things than like Paolo or Jabari are going to be at what they're good at? And that's kind of what you have to weigh out. I mean. I'm probably closer to moving Paolo ahead of him than Jabari. Like, that's the most likely thing to shift for me. But Chet, I, I have people that, like, I have people who tell me, like, NBA people who think he's the smartest player in the class, in the draft, like, by far. So, I can see that. I like yeah. his passing, and I like, we talked about on Sunday night, like, he's always kind of moving, and he's up to stuff. He's not a stand-in-place guy. I guess, like, if I'm in the top three, I'd be so scared to take somebody when I wasn't positive that they were going to be good. And with him, he, with all the stuff he brings to the table, I'm still a little scared because I've never seen anybody with his exact frame succeed in a real way in the NBA. That doesn't mean it can't happen. Like you would have said that about Jokic, right? Even if you looked at Jokic's body now, you'd be like, that guy? So it's not like it's inconceivable. I just, I, Jabari to me is a sure thing. He's a sure thing to at least be really good. And Paolo, you know, I he's starting to win us over too. I still have a little questions about, you know, is he the second best player in a title team? I'm if I have a top three pick, it you have to be the at least the second best player on a championship team for you to make sense in the top three for me. You know, and that's why I love Moby last year. I was like, that guy could be the second best guy on a championship team and potentially the first best guy in a championship team, you know? And I think you have to hold it to that standards. The thing we didn't talk about today, I mean, Chet got, the foul trouble was ludicrous. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this with uh, our guy Charks on on Tuesday. Shout out to him, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, this was probably Gonzaga's best chance. You both said this during the pod, that it's never been lined up better for them to win. And of course, they don't even make it to the final eight. And, you know, I just don't know when they're getting a top three NBA draft prospect like that falling into their laps when they already have another first round pick. And their guards, as you said, I thought really let them down in that game. I thought their guards were pretty good. I was actually surprised. But that's the thing about the tournament. Like Matherin sucked tonight, you know, and he was somebody everybody was going nuts about all weekend. And then tonight he just couldn't stay out of his own way because these are 19 and 20 year old kids. But um, yeah, the Gonzaga, let's talk about the Gonzaga thing really quick about this might have been it. 
Yeah, uh, the question for Gonzaga is you keep going through these like waves of their talent keeps getting just a little bit better. Their style of play is alluring. It looked like last season, you know, you, you got to get those. You kind of have to kick the door down with like, we signed this top prospect. He's got to play here. Like he's got to play well here and look good in our system. And then we have to succeed. And you would have thought last year with Jalen Suggs, like, okay, we kicked the door down. Like, we're for real now. We're not just, like, recruiting guys in the area. We're, like, pulling people, which, you know, be, to be fair, Chet and Suggs are both sort of relatively from the area. Same high school, actually, Chet and Suggs. Right. Which is crazy to think about if people want to go watch that. Really fun high school team. But, you know, this team, like you said, I I had kind of been up on their guards. I'd kind of defended their guards all year. Uh, they just looked shocked by the physicality of Arkansas. I think mm. like Arkansas got to like every single 50-50 ball. They just looked like they looked like they were on their heels all night and surprised by uh, Arkansas's like defensive pressure. And Arkansas just looked fearless. I mean, that's a program to look out for. But Gonzaga in general, this does kind of feel like a momentum hit. I mean, if you're kind of looking at who they've signed for next year, the splash just isn't quite there yet and you know basket like college basketball is all about brands and kind of brand momentum and things like that it doesn't feel like they mo you know they needed to win this year to to your point they needed right. to win you got to get over or the last year one of the two years they needed yeah. something amazing to happen it's funny we're entering this weird no man's land with college basketball because if if calipari has been defanged in kentucky sorry if coach k is leaving duke if Gonzaga like missed their window and you go on down the line, it's like, all right, who are the superpowers going to be going forward? You know, I guess it would be, you'd have to say Duke until they stop getting these guys. You'd have to figure that they're always going to be in the mix, but it does feel like there's a weird transition thing. Speaking of Carolina, tomorrow they're playing UCLA. That was the game you were the most excited about tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the style of play, like, I think that that game could be pretty up and down. UCLA has, like, multiple, like, shot creators that are pretty high variance. They could go either way. They, I mean, like, like Jules Bernard, Johnny Juzang, uh, Jaime Jaquez, who's, who's a guy that I really like, like a really physical. He seems like a guy that's going to, like, show up on an NBA roster just because he's like, I'm going to pick one small thing and just be, like, really good at it. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens next year, like kind of an Alex Caruso effect kind of thing. Mm. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, Carolina's playing really well. Their guards are playing really well. They've got a legit post-like presence in Armando Baycott. Um, Carolina, I could see winning that one. I'm kind of leaning towards picking them. Uh, but UCLA always has that. They always have that shot creation to make it interesting, That which was the case last year. And if you have that in the tournament, you're never out of it. Juzang was definitely a should have come out last year guy. <laughs> yeah, he should have read like, that Talking way. about like with, with this is why Chet has to come out this year. What's interesting with Chet, maybe we can end on this. He could say he's coming out, see how the lottery goes. And couldn't he withdraw and go back to college if he didn't like how it shook out? Like if he's the number three pick, let's say everything shakes out and it's like, this is going to be Jabari one, Paolo two, and then Chet three. Chet. It's looking like Houston for you. Could he look at that and go, eh, I don't think it is actually looking like Houston for me. I'm I'm either going to go back in the draft or maybe, you know, we haven't seen that happen. I forget what the exact date is when you can pull out, but I know it's after the lottery now, isn't it? Because you could sign with the agent, but you don't necessarily have to stay in if you're not happy with it. 
I don't know the exact date. I guess another question is going to be, you know, uh, what's his dad think? I don't know if you've gotten a look at Chet's dad, who, see, who seems like a pretty involved, proud dad, as like the camcorder and like yeah. the custom T-shirt. That would be it, me. That, if Chet was my son, that would be me in the crowd. They'd be showing be me with, like, the that. Game, yeah, my iPhone holding up, trying to get shots of Chet. Look at, we've got to review this when we get home. I don't really know what extra footage he's getting if he's like focusing on different angles. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, I mean... Chet fits with a lot of the teams. That's the kind of the thing. He has like role malleability. If he goes yeah. to a team where there's not like huge pressure on him to be like a star star. Like I said, I like the Houston fit. I really like the idea of him with like OKC because you'd be with playmaking. You'd be with like some guys who have scoring mentality. Me too. Um, Small market. They'd be very happy to have him. I don't think there'd be a ton of pressure there. Yeah. I think Indiana would be fun for him too. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I like the Indiana fit with what they've got going on. Yeah. The, the less pressure, but I, I don't think that he's going to succumb to pressure to be like, okay, I've got to be a star. He's just not that type of player. Like he, he's really smart and kind of reserved about how he goes about his business. And then like, obviously the Cade combo is really interesting because Cade needs a legit mm. lob thread. It gives him another guy to be his defensive anchor. It'd be a huge upgrade for him. I, I like the Cade pairing a lot if it, if it could happen. Well, to be fair, just to reiterate my my Chet takes, I'm not out on Chet. I just think when we're talking about top one, top two, top three, there's a level of certainty that I need. The thing that would scare me is if he's the second pick with the history of the second pick over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, you could say it's really a cursed pick in a lot of ways for the team that, and maybe Mobley finally broke that with Cleveland. But um, for the most part, the legacy of that number two pick and Darko and you know, uh, Sam Bowie going down the line. The beat, I think he was second. I yeah. remember doing something about this in my column once, but yeah, number two makes me nervous. Um, who's uh, who's your MVP, by the way, before we go? Of the NBA? Yeah. Uh, I'd say Jokic. I mean, it's it's a year. We're pretty we're pretty blessed, Bill, I would say, in terms of the, the talent at the top of the league to have this fiery conversation. Um, where are you on, on Jokic? Who's your MVP? I think if they fall, they lost again tonight, and I think if they're in the playing game, I'm going to start gravitating toward Giannis unless Philly can pass them in the standings. Because at that point, if if that, that as and I'm like the number one, I can't believe what an awesome season Jokic has had, guy. But if they're seven seed, that would really break some rules for me to be like, wow, you're the most valuable player. Your team had the seventh best record in the West. I I, I don't know. I I really have to talk myself into that. I he, voted I voted Kobe and I didn't have a vote in 2006 but I voted Kobe for MVP in 2006 when he had that they were 45 and 37 but he was just unbelievably completely carried them. So I've done it before I could talk myself into it but I just feel like Giannis I, I I don't really understand why Giannis has been kicked to the curb with this MVP thing. It doesn't make sense to me. We're never totally fair with Giannis. I mean, no. we talked about this in our top 25 thing. He's played literally like the same MVP level season like four years in a row. And, we're, and we'll just go back and forth and be like, we love him, we hate him, we love him, we hate him. It's right. like, what well, does does Jokic get no break, though, for the fact that he's had, I mean, two star teammates not be there. And he's still elevated the team. It's in, worse in than that. Way. He's playing with, you know, the, the Jeff Green, these guys that, and Jeff Green's been okay, but like these guys that have either bounced around the league or they're destined to be like, seventh man on a really good team. And those are his guys, Austin Rivers. Yeah. And that's the definition of like a legit floor raising player is that you can just plug low value pieces and he elevates their value. And that's just, that's the Jokic experience. I mean, 
and Giannis and Giannis and Embiid have uh, had more intact, you know, supporting casts next to them. And I think if you you always got to kind of consider, okay, what if we put Jokic with the Sixers? What if we put Jokic with the Bucks cast? And I mean, he's just. I don't know. I, I have uh, the utmost appreciation for what he does just because I think he impacts the game. And he's playing better defense this year. Like, he's a legitimately improved defensive player, which Agreed. he's gotten derided for that. And I, I think you got to give him credit. That's a great case for him against Embiid. If you just flip them, what happens to Denver? What happens to Philly? I just don't think Denver has as good of a record if you flip Embiid and Jokic. It was used to be one of my uh, criteria. All right. Comment. We can hear you on Upside High with our guy, Jonathan Charks. And we can see your Ringer videos and uh, look forward to hearing you throughout this madness, which looks like uh, it's going to be pretty good. Good to see you. Good to see you too. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. Okay, Ben Solak is here. We have a new rule. Anytime a superstar receiver gets traded, we have to bring him on. He also wrote about this trade for TheRinger.com today. Tyreek Hill off the Chiefs. He went to the Miami Dolphins. I'll give you my quick take and then you go. The Chiefs are dead and yet I actually agreed with this trade. I think you can have both opinions about the same trade. I think that four-year year run they had had come to kind of an end of what that iteration was. And they had to move to a new phase, which they recognized. They made this trade. And yet, I'm way less scared of the Chiefs. So they made a trade I agreed with. Right. And I think they're worse. Okay, so their Super Bowl odds went from plus 900 to plus 900. So books-wise, <laughs> nothing changed. So it's it's interesting, right? Because I very much had that experience when I went to go write about, all right, these are the consequences of the Tyreek Hill trade. And you kind of end up at this place where it's like, all right, but also, you know, they got Andy and they got Mahomes and Kelsey's still good. They got cap space now and they're going to be able to attract some, you know, free agents or whatever. They just signed Marquez Valdez Scantling. Like the, I, I, I did have that that internal sense that I think books did as well, where it's like, all right, the Chiefs inevitability thing still feels real though. And so, right, I, 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 there's so many different ways to look at this that you can end up defending like any give and take, right? And, and kind of it, what, what this all hinges on is how healthy and effective this Tyreek Hill stay for the next four years. And if he's, you know, still this quick and this explosive when he's 32, the Dolphins are right. And if he isn't, then the Chiefs are right. It's kind of, we won't be able to, to tell, I think, until we get all the way down that mountain a little bit because. I get, I get why it makes sense for the Chiefs. It absolutely makes sense for the Dolphins. And I think you're right. The Chiefs are kind of moving into phase two of the Mahomes era. That's going to be really fun to see. And that was what you wrote about. You had a stat in there about 16.1% um, mm -hmm. of Hill's targets in 2021 were more than 20 yards downfield, which is significant because three seasons earlier, it was 31.8. And then it dropped to 25.2 and, and 
or that was two years early, actually. And uh, down to 16.1. Now, you thought, and you and Warren Sharp would talk about this on the gambling show, you thought at least a small piece of that was that defenses had kind of figured out not a way to play the Chiefs, but a strategy to try to limit what Hill did. So how do we know if he lost right. a step versus the defenses? That's a very good question. And a lot of, of there's a lot of data about like how fast does Tyreek Hill get off the ball and how quickly does he get upfield in these vertical routes, like next-gen stats charting him through the 2020 season. So before 2021, had Hill as like the fastest guy off the ball on, on goes and on posts and on crosses, like all these field-stretching routes, Hill was running them faster, more explosively, more dangerous than everybody else. And then it feels like we lost that a little bit last year. Are the Chiefs telling us that that's because they think Hill has lost a step? Like you can, you can read that between the lines here. But in general, that field stretching nature of Hill's play up until 2020 fell away a little bit in 2021. And some of that has to do with defensively what, what you're getting, right? When you're getting these two deep safeties and when they know number 10 is on the field and they know what he means, you're getting so much attention from guys already lined up 15 yards, 18 yards down the field that it becomes more difficult to access Hill on those vertical routes, on those deep routes. It doesn't mean that Hill can't open up space in the intermediate. You still run that guy down the field. Safety's still got to go with him. And now it's a little bit easier to throw, you know, your 13-yard slant to Byron Pringle or your 15-yard curl route to Travis Kelsey, whatever you want. So he still opens up that space. It's just, do you want to be paying $25 million for a player to be opening that space? If you believe internally that one, you can pay $12 million to Marquez Valdez Scantling and he'll still open up space for you. And two, that defenses are always going to prioritize taking away your deep ball. The, as long as 15 is a quarterback, as long as Mahomes can chuck it 65 yards down the field, four seconds into the snap, teams are going to prioritize taking away our deep space. Then we can't really prioritize in terms of our money, in terms of our cap, paying the most preeminent deep threat in the leagues. That's what Hill was for them. That's what he was for four years. The best deep threat there is. There's kind of, there, there is a disconnect there. And I think the only, the other thing that, that, that matters in that disconnect schematically is that, well, the chiefs decided to start throwing the ball short and start running the football more to try to get teams out of these two high looks. It's just not really Hill's game. Hill, Hill doesn't like, Hill's not a very like, contact loving player he doesn't want to go hit a guy or block a guy it's just not not him and so when you're throwing it short and you're asking him to like break a tackle on a bubble screen or when you're running the football and you're asking him to get a ball as a run blocker it's just not where he was maximized i'm not saying that's why they got rid of him that'd be really dumb but they do i think see internally a need to get a little bit bigger and a little bit more physical all across the offense they, they prioritize speed and, and 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 tackle you know angle breaking agility a little bit too much and now you're seeing them backswing a little bit you saw them change down the offensive line now you have marquez valdez scaling juju smith schuster those are big physical receivers the chiefs want to get bigger they want to get a little bit more physical and tyreek doesn't really fit that philosophy i think you nailed it to me it is a realization that what worked for them for four years was not working in the same way and they were less malleable, which is a word I always like to use for basketball. Like mm -hmm. one of the reasons I like the Celtics right now is they're malleable. They can, they can try all kinds of different lineups in a playoff series, depending on who they're playing. The Chiefs kind of who were who they were and teams saw it week after week after week. They accumulated the tape on it. And I look at all the stuff they've done and it really does feel like a strategy shift. You mentioned... Mm -hmm. They signed Valdez Scantling today and Juju. We'll see if Juju could stay in the field. But I look at that as like they want to run the ball more. They want receivers who can block. They want to use the deep threat in a way like it comes out of this weird new offense that they have where 
now you take advantage of Mahomes when teams aren't expecting it versus teams already planning that he's going to do it. Right. At the same time, I wonder, like, all right, let's go back to that Bengals game. They're up 20, what was it, 21-3? Yep. They had a chance to go up 28-10 to at halftime. They blew it. They have the ball start in the second half. You, you look at this half hour of real time, and if it just goes a little differently, I wonder if they make the trade. I wonder if they win the oh. Super Bowl. I wonder if we're talking about, is this the new dynasty? And because they mishandled that half hour and then the OT, all of a sudden now we're here and they're trading Tyreek Hill. I, I very much agree that if they had won that Super Bowl, we'd be thinking about that of them right now a lot differently. I'm not sure we would have ended up elsewhere with Tyreek because the Chiefs were going to make, we're, the Chiefs were willing to pay Tyreek like Devontae Adams-esque money. And that's basically what he got from the, the Dolphins. It's a very small increase. It's like, all right, you're nominally better, but it's not like you blew up the market really that much or anything like that. Yeah. So it's still like DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams. They kind of set the market. Christian Kirk obviously threw everybody for a loop. But in general, like they were going to make Tyreek right. Tyreek wanted wanted more. The Chiefs said, we'll get, get you down here. You know, you'll win another Super Bowl. Keep the band together. And he said, no, like, I'm, I'm going to Miami. I'm making that change. I'm cool. Uh, no yeah. state tax, new team. Right. I'm the star of this team now. I'm and not I think, in somebody's shadow. Yeah. And I think if the Chiefs had won two Super Bowls, it's not like they would have gone from zero to one. As opposed to if they're going from one to two, I don't think I, I don't think that makes rings matter anymore to Tyreek Hill, right? I think that Tyreek's telling us in making this move, I got my ring. I don't need multiple rings. I don't need you but know. It, the, but the it might have changed resume. how the it might have changed how the Chiefs thought of it though. They might have thought yeah. like, oh, what does he want? All right, we got it. I mean, we yeah. have a potential dynasty here. We can't lose this guy. Yeah, and and that that precipice is important because the Chiefs have like. 24 total dues under contract for 2023 right now. Like, cause they built so heavily for this, this first window with Mahomes, right? They gave him that, that contract extension in which he was so cheap in those early years. I've got to remember we're, we're in Mahomes second contract right now, but it's very, very cheap relative to what a second contract usually looks like and what Mahomes second contract eventually will look like as we get into 2023 and beyond. So they were on that precipice of, okay, do we really put ourselves in cap hell to try to win a second ring or a third ring within the next three or four years? Or do we say, all right, we got to move off some big contracts, right? Tyreek Hill, I think they tried to move off of Frank Clark and try to restructure. That was kind of a whole drama earlier earlier yeah. this month. And we we bring in now, they've got eight draft picks in the first four rounds. And we say, let's go get ourselves some young talent. Let's go get ourselves some cheap talent and start to build for that second window. So they were a little bit on that precipice. And, and you make a good point. They won that second Super Bowl. They'd probably be on the other side of the mountain right now as opposed to where they ended up. Yeah, that cha a championship really messes you up because it starts talking to you into situations that you might not want to be in. I just look at what they did. Removing everything, and I'll talk about the big three impact in a second, but they take the Hill money and they turn it into two receivers, both of whom aren't nearly as good as Hill, but offer them a little more flexibility, Vandes, uh, Valdez, Scantling, and, and Juju. And you get all these picks. And as you know, I live my life by the phrase, what would Bill Belichick do? Mm -hmm. I think if Belichick is presented with this conundrum and it's like door A is Tyreek Hill, just pay him. Door B is these two other receivers and all of these picks and a little more cap space. Belichick's taken door B every time. Mm -hmm. So I think the fact that they lost in the conference championship the way they did made it a little easier to do that. With that said, this was, wasn't just an era. This was this big three that they had. I'm, I'm in my fifth decade now watching football. It's right up there. It's up there with anybody. I mean, we've mm -hmm. had 
you had the Montana and Rice, obviously, and Brady and Gronk, and you have the two-man duos over the years. But in terms of like three incredible weapons all together where you're watching it, it almost feels like basketball with the spacing and just how Absolutely. different it was. How different it was than any other team we watched. And you would just watch the geometry of it and go, how the fuck do you stop this if Tyreek's going deep and Kelsey's going over the middle and you hit, give Mahomes a little time? What do you do? How do you stop this? I to me, it's like way, way up there. How how is it for you? Like when yeah. you think historically? Different is the absolute correct word because all three are a little bit like defining within their particular positions, right? A little bit like prototypes uh, in terms of a changing NFL. And and then all three of them coalesce together to kind of bring that idea to a head. You have Mahomes in terms of the scramble ability, the second reaction ability. We want our quarterbacks to just be freakazoid arm, freakazoid athleticism, break all the rules in the pocket. We don't care anymore. Just don't make a play. You have Travis Kelsey where, okay, tight end blocking, overrated. We don't care. We're going to split you out wide over 50% of your snaps, just not attached to the line of scrimmage. We're going to let you, and, and he's such like a vibes route runner, Kelsey, right? Like he doesn't really run precise routes. We ain't running, you know, West Coast stuff anymore though. Remember we got Mahomes now. We, we're we all yeah. vibes. And so vibes side end works for me. And then you have all this space generated. You're lining guys up out wide. What do you want? Except a guy like a Tyreek Hill, who at this point, we don't need receivers to be tall anymore. We don't need to stick our, our short receivers in the slot anymore. As long as you, you got speed we're going to push you on the field. We're going to find a way to get the football. And then you're going to do the rest for us after, after the ball's in your hands. And so all three of those guys kind of are, are hallmarks. They're watershed moments for where each position changed. Then you give them to Andy Reed, you put them on the field. And all of a sudden you have this chiefs offense in the late 2010s, which was, we really just don't care about running the football or lining up and pretending we're going to run the football. We're going to spread and shred. And we can actually do that in the NFL. Yeah, I know it was a, it was a college idea 10 years ago. It's an NFL idea now. We're going to spread you out and shred you. And so they they are they're indicative of, of those changes. And that's why the next era of Chiefs offense is really interesting. Because with Juju, uh, with uh, uh, Kelsey, who's clearly to them like a receiver right now, like he's their ex receiver. There's a little bit of a pendulum swing back, as this all this thing always goes, where you get swings back and forth of saying, "Oh, we need like a a guy who can block, like at the line of scrimmage." And that's not Kelsey, that's Juju for them, right? That's Marquez Montescanding, who, who blocking was critical to that Green Bay offense that he was previously in. And so there's a little bit of that swing back. This is all right. We, we saw the benefits of spread and shred, but now also defenses have an answer. So let's continue to evolve. And if that means we have to lose one of our big three, we're confident we can find another one and fill in the gaps with our cap space and our draft picks. I just love the way the three of the, and I hated it as a Pats fan, but I just love the way the three of those guys complement each other. Cause you'd see it in basketball sometimes, right? You'd see, Big threes would get shoehorned together. Or sometimes they made perfect sense. Like in a weird way, LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Bosch all together, it shouldn't have made as much sense as it did. And then when Bosch learned how to space the floor a little bit, there was that year and a half run where it was like, holy shit, these guys yeah. are amazing together. And, you know, when I was growing up, Bird and McHale and Parrish and, and uh, Kareem and Worthy and Magic and these guys that just, they made sense as a threesome. I think it's a really hard place to get to. I was trying to think in football, you know, we had Manning and Harrison and Edger and James that that had a couple yeah. years there. I yeah, I was thinking Manning, sense. Harrison, and, Manning, Harrison, and Wayne. I was I was thinking about as well, but it's a little bit like Harrison and Wayne weren't redundant. It was just that was Manning's offense, and both those guys had the skill sets to make it make sense in terms of the route running and, and, and the detail and stuff. Yeah, you're right. That's a better yeah. that's a better version of that. We had mm -hmm. the Jim Kelly with Thurman Thomas and Andre Reed. Um, mm -hmm. at the the Warner Rams when they had Warner and Falk and uh, and Tory Holt. 
And it was basically, I don't know, I, I think it was a three-year run for them. But it was the same thing. Like, I felt like everybody, the geometry of a comp, I don't remember mm-hmm. the geometry working as well as right. I did with these four guys. Like, the Pats certainly... Yeah, I was going to say, had, Brady, Brady, Gronk, and Hernandez deserves a mention there as well. It, like, oh, I was going to go, yeah. go Brady, Moss, Welker. Ma- Moss, Welker. Moss going deep yeah. and Welker underneath, I yeah. thought, worked too. Right, that worked. Like, honestly, like, both of them work. And the reason they work is because Brady's involved in the trio a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Right? Seriously. And it just kind of tells you how much the offense can change. But in terms of, like, Hernandez and Gronk, like, nobody was putting two tight ends on the field like that. Right, And that was because nobody realized that tight ends could have as varied of skill sets as Gronk and Hernandez did. They were like completely different players. Yeah. But they both played tight end, right? Kind of in quotation marks. And like that getting on the field with Brady as a quarterback who could parse defenses matching 12 personnel incorrectly. Like that, that's, that's a, another like watershed short of a trio. We, we don't talk about Hernandez on this pod, Ben. I don't, you didn't oh, get the memo. That's my bad. I'm, I'm no, 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 you're right. I mean, he was basically... Kelsey S. Kelsey's a better version of him, but he wasn't really that much of a blocker, but he was right. a fantastic receiver. And Gronk was more of the traditional. I, I think the thing with with these three guys, Tyreek, I don't know if he's the greatest deep threat I've ever seen in my lifetime, but he's in the short, whatever the short list is. If, you know, I think Moss is up there and I could, I go back to like Cliff Branch and the Raiders way, way back when, but he's certainly one of the most, one of the most frightening people I've ever yeah. seen on a football field when you're playing him or when you're betting against him. And then Kelsey is one of the four best tight ends of all time. And then you mentioned Mahomes, who I think has the most tools of any quarterback we've had. I, you know, it's been a little erratic the last couple of years with it. Mm-hmm. Just when you think it's like, oh my God, this guy is the, here, here he goes. We're, we're having your Hall of Fame run here. And then he has the second half of the Bengals game. But together, it was a really special thing. And I, and I really do feel like this is another era now. And I, I, it seems like you do too, but I think we both maybe like the upside more now. Yeah, it's a, different, it's a different era. And I don't think it'll ever be so big three dependent. I think it will be more malleable. Bring back that word you used previous, right? I think that the Chiefs saw this year that they invested so hard into the offense built around Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill and how that yeah. had to work that they felt the cost of it was a little bit too great. And they said, listen, if we're going to have Mahomes for 10 plus years. Let's build with, with long-term flexibility in mind. Let's bring, build with both malleability in the cap and who we, who we have in here and, and how we pay our money and also malleability in our offense. So that when we do get teams that are just lining up and too high for the entire game, the Chiefs who are, or the, excuse me, the Bengals, we're just dropping eight into coverage, right? Only rushing three all game. Right. We can actually run the football. We can actually punish them the way that like football has historically punished defenses like this. We don't have to reinvent the wheel and like push everybody into the spread era, you know, like just bang our head against that wall constantly. We can build with some malleability. And so I think I, I believe that the Chiefs offense has a good chance over the next two or three years to be as good as the Hill, Kelsey, Mahomes offense will was, excuse me. But I don't think it'll be because of the stars. I think it'll be because of the second tier guys and because of the flexibility, right? Because of the coaching and kind of that process. So I don't think it'll ever be as big three as it was. And that's why I think we'll look back at this era with, with fondness for a long time. So it was, it was fun football on, on the field, man. Well, it also struck, it, you know, the rookie QB contract, which is the number one thing you can have. Yeah. I look at what happened with this and with Devontae Adams can't be on the same thing with Rodgers because it's just too much money combined. And it almost like with the way the cap works, with the way the receiver money has gone up, it almost seems impossible to have the really expensive QB, the really expensive receiver, 
and also the ability to have five guys who can block yeah. for the really expensive QB. It's like something has to give at one point. So you go to Vegas, they can pay Adams because they have Carr on this awesome contract. You have the Dolphins, they can pay Tyreek Hill because they have a rookie QB, a rookie contract QB, who, by the way, that's the funniest piece of this is they have this incredible deep threat and QB who literally yes. can't complete long passes to anybody. I really want to see It's going to be bad. That. It's going to yeah, be we, very bad. We can talk about the Miami piece. Actually, let's take a break and we'll talk about the Miami piece quick. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. The Miami piece of this, I'm not against it because we talked about when you have the rookie contract QB, if you think two is the guy, why not splurge on one big offensive player? You have Waddle on a rookie contract, you have two on a rookie contract, like why not? Um, I just don't think Tua is a successful starting quarterback. I don't see it. I think you have to use gimmicks just to get him to succeed. I think the fact that their offense, it was so hard for them to go down the field and they really needed, you know, all kinds of gimmicks and all kinds of weird shit just to get a first down on a third and nine. Yeah. I, in a weird way, I, I already feel bad for Tyreek. He's going from Mahomes one of the most gifted quarterbacks of all time, to Tua, who I think this could be his last year as a starting quarterback. Honestly, if you had, the, if you gave me FanDuel odds, will Tua start again after this year for anyone? I, minus 200? Minus 150? I don't know. I, I really think that he could be, yeah. this could be it. So what, what was your take on the Miami piece of this? So I, I, I like it for Miami because I think that it gives you incontrovertible proof by the end of the 2022 season if Tua is or isn't the guy, mm. right? And that's the thing is, is you just got Teron Armstead in the building. You got Tyreek Hill in the building. You kept Mike Kosicki, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Moster, whatever. Like they have the bodies that should make this offense work. And Mike McDaniel will know, having seen it for the last five years, if this is a Jimmy situation or not, right? Is this a, all right, it's working because the quarterback's not killing us, but it's not like it's working because he's doing anything else. It's just because he's getting out of the way. Yeah. They'll be able to recognize what that looks like. And I think that Tua ran a very RPO heavy offense, very quick game heavy offense at Alabama when he was so successful. He had four first round receivers. He had three first round linemen. And it's like, all right, he was a point guard there. He's been a point guard in the league. And it's really, really hard to win a lot of games and playoff games with a point guard. 
So you sit there with Miami and remember, they got two first round picks in 2023. They have their pick and the Niners pick. So they already have extra ammo for next year's draft. Not this upcoming next year's you get one year or two out with, with Teddy Bridgewater sitting right there waiting in the rings ever so good at winning four games. Teddy Bridgewater, just you right. know, the, the, the epitome of the point guard quarterback. You say, okay, you got 16 games to a 17 games. Show us you have something more than that. And we'll keep you around. If not, Miami is so well positioned to look at the entire 2023 quarterback landscape, whether it's draft or free agency and trades, because quarterbacks are moving like crazy nowadays and say, all right, whoever the best one is, we're going to show him this offense, these weapons, Jalen Waddle, Tua, Teron Smith, uh, Tyreek, whoever you want. Come on out of Miami. Very nice weather. Lovely tax situation. Mm. Come win yourself a championship. So I think they're, they get to look at Tua and also build the bed for the next guy in the event that Tua isn't there. The funniest thing about this trade, if the Dolphins had taken Herbert over Tua, oh, is, brother. There, is there a chance in hell the Chiefs trade Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins yeah. with Herbert? I would no. say there's a 0% chance. But yeah, because the Dolphins have like the third best odds for the Super Bowl in the AFC. You know what yeah. I mean? It's unreal. The, uh, the other th- the thing about that that's crazy though is if, Herbert is in Miami is Brian Flores fired because Flores mm. got fired for a lot of things. So a lot besides on field right. success that, that Flores got fired for. But if Miami has Herbert, they've probably made the playoffs in each of the last two seasons, as opposed to barely missing out. And in that case, it's a lot harder as an owner to fire a head coach, even if you hate him and yada yada, whatever happened with Ross Flores. So it, it a little bit cuts both ways, but man, that that's the thing is, uh, if if the Chargers were not in the Chiefs division, the Chargers would have traded anything the Chiefs wanted to get Tyreek to LA. Because the biggest missing piece right now for the Chargers is a field stretcher. And the best one was on the market. He just happened to be in their division. Well, it's funny that the AFC West has somehow become even more confusing. I was confused already. And yeah. you would have thought the Chiefs pedigree can't go against it. Who knows now? It, it could be one of those things where there are a lot of moving pieces. Some of them might work out, some of them not. That people are talking about, oh, they'll definitely take a receiver in the first or second round. That's always hit or miss. Andy's getting old. I still feel like we need to have at least a little bit of a reckoning of how bad that Bengals loss was. I mean, it's honestly one of the worst playoff football losses of the last 10 years. And like, yep. why did that happen? What happened to Mahomes? That, what happened to Andy Reid? Like, like, should we be worried long-term yeah. about him? That failed first half. Uh, a scoring attempt where they came in with no points. I think just like that, 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 that is a, a, you know, butterflies wings halfway around the world, right. Where it just, they came out after that and they just seemed so bad on offense, right? Like it was just going into the, the locker room with that, whatever it was, the chief, the Bengals coming back out and just saying, we're never going to blitz this guy for the rest of the game. Mahomes was pushing. He looked like he did in week five. It was, yeah. it was discombobulation well, is the best word for that offense. What about, at the end of the fourth quarter, when deranged Romo was talking about, should the Bengals let them score? And it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. The, Chief, the Chiefs have had a hundred plays in the, inside the oh, tent. Jim, and then they start they going backwards. Score? Jim, they're going backwards. <laughs> Jim. And they, they start going backwards to the point that Bucker has to actually attempt a, a semi-hard yeah. field goal yeah, kick. Yeah. Like there is some actual pressure on it, but they started out on like the five-yard line. I, uh, I don't know what to make of the Chiefs. I was looking at the four... You know, I think like teams, and I've talked about this before, they, in the NFL, because of the cap, you're going to have like a four-year run or a five-year run. That's about the best you can do. And then you've got a mm-hmm. retool, rehaul. The Pats have been the best example of, 
they would have these kind of eras and move into the next era, right? They would have the 01 to 05 and they kind of shifted to the next one, the Moss era. Then they were able to shift again from 14 to 18. They had the best version of this. 2014, 18, three Super Bowl wins, one Super Bowl loss, one conference finals. But you look, the rest of the list is like 2012, 15, Denver, the four remaining years. Mm-hmm. 2012 to 15, Seattle, one Super Bowl, one Super Bowl loss, always in the hunt. 11 to 14, Ravens, one Super Bowl, two conference finals. 0104, Eagles, sorry, four oh, straight Bruce. conference. Uh, 0104, Pats, three Super Bowls. And then this KC team, which was four years. So if you're just looking at the, the law of the salary cap era NFL, it's like four years, maybe you can stretch it, stretch it to five. But now you got to really reconfigure who you are and who you're building around. The most successful thing you can do is build around an awesome QB. That works. We know that works. We also know that it doesn't work when you're spending so much money on all the pieces for them that suddenly you can't block for them. Suddenly your defense can't stop anybody. So it's that calibration of how to make it work. And it feels like they recognize that, right? Yeah. You saying that made me feel like, it's not like better about the trade, but more impressed that the Chiefs made it and we're willing to to make that Tyreek Hill sacrifice, assuming there's long-term gains to be made. I think I think it's really hard for any other team with any other quarterback right now to sit down and say, let's plan to be contending for the next 10 to 15 years. Like, let's plan to have like the quarterback who can do that. But the Chiefs can. The Chiefs can say, all right, our floor is so high because 15's playing quarterback that yeah. we can really make some short-term sacrifices. Like, there's no doubt that trading Tyreek Hill makes your team worse right now. He's a good player. <laughs> you just lost him. He was great. He's not there anymore. But long-term, it ushers in a second era that may be right. You hit on a couple of these picks. You hit on some, you know, the rookie contract guys. You're starting left tackle for four years because they haven't extended Orlando Brown. So they probably still want to improve that position. You go and get an edge rusher so you can finally actually get after the quarterback. You can move off of Frank Clark. And all of a sudden, those guys are cheap. You got some guys on rookie deals dominating. And boom, it's another four-year window. And you know what? There's going to be another one afterward because you expect 15 to be as good as he was. And that's the, right. I think that lesson to be learned from the Brady Belichick era of dominance, that you can dominate, you can be the, the dynasty for 10, 15 years. So long as you're willing to take one step back and take two steps forward every so often, that lesson is huge for the chiefs. And if the, if this is a sign that they've learned it, it's really good news. I think for long-term chiefs defining this era of football. Well, I mentioned Belichick earlier in the pod. There was a moment after the 05, so they win the three Super Bowls, they lose in the playoffs the next year to Jake Plummer, which all of the Patriots fans have agreed never to talk about again. And the next year they have the Dion Branch. He they have to pay him. He's Brady's best receiver. You gotta do it. And Belichick was like, eh, and ends up trading him for a first round pick to Seattle. And we all go nuts. We almost win the Super Bowl or make the Super Bowl that year with Rache Caldwell and Jabbar Gaffney. Yeah. Then the other one they he, he did, he traded Richard Seymour when it was time a little bit later in the decade, when it was time to pay Richard Seymour, who's a hall of famer now and traded him in the peak of his, of his, of his prime for a first round pick from the Raiders, which turned out to be Mayo. But over and over again, I think Belichick was very conscious of we've, we've got to constantly recalibrate this. Right. Even if we're kind of weakening our chances this year, it's it's still a four year five year run still has to be right. the move all the time. And when you have when you have the quarterback, you can get out a year or two before a guy's prime actually expires and be okay. 
as opposed to like if you if you were building around Stafford right now with the Rams, you'd be willing to like super overpay Cooper Cup five year extension, assuming you only get like three years of his prime because you just have three years of Stafford, right? Like Stafford's back's not great. He's in his thirties. We just got to do it right now, right now, right now, right now. That's why there's that four or five year cutoff on that, that contending window, right? To actually go win a couple of Super Bowls. With Mahomes, you say, all right, Mahomes is going to be good. Two years yeah. from now, four years from now, six years from now, eight years from now. So if Tyreek's 28, and if we think his prime's going to end at his, then he's 30, like the cliff's going to come for him. He's had some hamstring issues. He's a quick twitch player. So once your hamstrings go, you're mm-hmm. really in trouble. We'd give you a three-year deal. And, and, and you know, Hill's like, nope, I want the big extension. I want the big money. All right. Let him let, let's trade him. And if we if we were about right and we traded him, he's got two years of his prime left. Yeah, those two years are gonna suck. But we're sure not gonna remember him when Mahomes is still really good six years from now. And we had money, we had cap space to rebuild this team. And so when you know you have the quarterback and you have him not just for three years, but for eight plus years, that's the Chiefs are dealing with like 10 plus years of Mahomes, you can get out early on a guy's prime and protect your cap and, and protect your long-term outlook because you know you have the guy. There's a piece to this that I did not do research on. Maybe it'll be a Ben Solak story for the ringer at some point. Hey, when receivers switch teams, it's not like the NBA. I remember this going badly as much as it goes well. Like there's been good ones, right? Moss comes to the Patriots. That was awesome. Well, right before that, Moss went to the Raiders. Not as awesome. We had Terrell Owens goes to Philly. That was awesome. We've also had... We've also had a bunch of guys switch teams and it's just not as awesome. And I think I think it's harder than you think for a receiver to just switch teams, quarterbacks, offenses, the whole thing. I think we have in our heads because we think like it's fantasy football at all times. And it's like, oh, this guy's going to go here. It'll go great. I think the same thing with, you know, I think Devontae Adams is probably, I think, a safer bet mm-hmm. to succeed just because of how he's used Hill. You know, part of what makes him great is how he's used and can his quarterback get him the ball when he's open. We've never seen him play with a quarterback who wasn't fucking awesome. So yeah. I so I, I just feel like this is more volatile. I remember like way, way back when the Cowboys traded for Alvin Harper. Everyone was like, oh my God, they're going to have Alvin Harper, Michael Irvin, oh my Jesus. And it was, he was okay, but he wasn't like, I think as incredible as everybody expected. And mm-hmm. even Amari Cooper recently. He was good on the Cowboys, but I think people thought they were getting like this top five receiver and by what year three, they wanted him out. So what do you think about receivers switching teams? No, that, that it's, it's, it's exactly correct. I was thinking about Cooper when you were talking about, you can't pay the quarterback and the line and the receiver earlier, because Cooper is another one of these star top paid receivers who left his team this off season. Uh, It is extremely difficult for a receiver who we we view as like a top five guy. And I'm going to say top five specifically to change teams and stay a top five guy. And that's because five to 20 is still so good. Receiver is not a top heavy position, right? Mm. Uh, who's the best? Rec- we talked about this with Devontae Adams. Who's the best receiver in the league? Devontae, probably. Cooper Cup just like triple crowns. Cooper right. Cup was the uh, offensive player of the year. We're still like, it's probably Devontae. It's so easy to get like a one-year spike of production, get like a 10-game crazy stretch of production, right? And and, and because it's that easy, because the ball gets thrown so much, and there's so many different body types that work at receivers, so many different play styles and different styles of passing offenses, that when you peak, it's really rare to not fall off. It's very hard to plateau and stay up there. Just yeah. because there are so many other good receivers in so many other good passing offenses. Like, 
one of the most productive receivers in the league is Justin Jefferson, who was outside of the top 20 picks, a rookie, his quarterback is Kirk Cousins, man. Like that's not the environment to be like this crazy good receiver, but he is because it's just easy. It's just easy to have these really big spikes of productive, highly efficient, highly explosive receiver play. And so when you're trading for a guy because he's top five, you got to understand his talent could stay exactly the same, but it's really hard to be one of the only, the five only dudes in the top five because five to 20 is also loaded at the receiver position. So because it's not top heavy, absolutely. When you're trading for a top guy, you're probably still going to get that level of talent. That level of production is a different matter entirely. Well, it's the Larry Fitzgerald corollary, right? Larry Fitzgerald, when he's playing with Carson Palmer near the tail end of Carson Palmer's prime, looks awesome. When he's with Kurt mm-hmm. Warner, same thing. But put him with, remember some of the dudes that they were trotting out there for a couple of uh, years? Drew, Drew, little Drew Stanton. Drew little Kevin Stanton. Cobb. Kevin <laughs> Cobb, ex-Eagle great. Just year after year. And then, then it kind of became hashtag save Larry Fitzgerald. It just mm-hmm. got grim. And guess who wasn't a top five receiver anymore? Larry Fitzgerald, because nobody yeah. could get him the ball. And I do wonder, I mean, there, I think this is so much fun. John Jastrzemski, huge Dolphins fan, who somehow hosts our New York, New York pod, but he's a huge Dolphins fan. He's also on the Ringer Gambling Show. And he's all fired up, but I don't blame him because it's like I have Tyreek Hill on my team, plus the way they used Waddle with all these little bubble screens and quick ones and little quick outs. And, you know, you could you could build an offense that's just weird enough that it would be a real bitch to play. And if you catch them on the right week, it's like, my God, the Dolphins scored mm-hmm. 52 points and they had 220 yards after the catch. And yeah, I see that world, but I still, I still feel like quarterbacks. This is my controversial take. Quarterbacks matter. Yeah. Quarterbacks and bad, ma- and bad quarterbacks, quarterbacks matter. matter. Bad quarterbacks yeah. matter. Kind of crappy quarterbacks matter. And I just, I do not believe right. in Tua. I do not. No, I don't either. And I think that the Dolphins have, I think the best thing to say is that the Dolphins have positioned themselves to be the most attractive landing spot for a very good quarterback in 2023. And if, if that quarterback ends up being like to a second contract, they were great in 2022, sick, all of our power to you. I just, I don't think it'll be that guy. Any draft QBs that you fell in love with before we go? For this year? Yeah. Oh, heck. Uh, <laughs> No, it's not a good quarterback class. Uh, it, it's somewhere between 2013 when EJ Manuel went 16 overall. Oh, God. And we have to you know, remember, and Stephen Ruiz has been bothering me about this, the 2017 class when we called it bad, like Mitchell Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson was a bad quarterback class pre-draft. Then three of them went top 15 and teams were risking it for these toolsy guys. You have a really toolsy guy, Malik Willis, out of Liberty. He could be a, a, a tremendously impressive player. It's just going to take time. Uh, you have another, like you have more, again, toolsy dudes, but they're a little bit more polished. Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, Matt Crowell at Ole Miss. Could be something, maybe take them first round. But right now, books set the line for first round quarterbacks. At Most of them have three and a half with heavy juice on the under. I have seen a two and a half recently. So we're looking at, at, at maybe three quarterbacks going first round, which we're used to over the last five years, like three dudes going to the top 15. That's, that's not happening this year. So not a great class you're going to get a Derek Carr or a Ryan Tannehill and you'd feel good about that out of some of these guys. Jesus. Yep. I forget. Who was, I think Danny Kelly was selling me on Desmond Ritter. Somebody was, and I did the research yep. after. Maybe it was Heifetz. He does check a lot of my boxes. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he went first round. He seems like one of those when he meets the coaches, they're re- super impressed after. He is, he is an a-hole, Desmond Ritter is, in the best possible yeah. way. He's Great a son charisma. Of a guy. He's the son yeah. of a guy. Like I, 
I'm kind of in on him, so I'm, I'm monitoring yeah. him. Right now we have the uh, the Chiefs, as you said, stayed at plus 950. I don't see a lot of value yet. The Colts at 24 to 1, they dropped with Matt Ryan, but no. I, watching Matt Ryan the last couple of years, I just don't think you're winning the Super Bowl with him. You won't, you won't catch me believing in the Colts. I'm, I refuse. Dolphins 36 to 1. Your Eagles are 40 to 1. I mean, I, I do feel like the draft is going to impact some of this, but the one that was surprising to me was the Steelers at 70 to 1. Because I do feel like if they got a quarterback, if they just were able to get lucky, Mm-hmm. They have a chance to win that division. Like, why not? I, it's a tough division. I like they they'd have to get Malik, and you have to be good in year one, which I'm not sold about. They love Malik Willis. Mike mm. Tomlin is not even trying at this point. Mike Mike's just walking around. Everybody in their mama knows <laughs> Mike Tomlin loves Malik Willis. It's been a good time. So if, if they're trading up and getting into the early teens to go get him, sure. But right now, like. You see Malik Willis is like minus 250 to be the first quarterback off the board. They'd have to make a big, big, big trade up in the first round to go get him. And they really don't do that. They did it for Devin Bush two years ago, three years ago, which was super weird and did not work for them. Mm. Other than that, like the Steelers typically don't, don't make those big trade ups, but also they haven't needed a, a quarterback, you know, in 18 years. So we, we well, don't actually the, know the, what the they last really two. do. Yeah. The last yeah. two they needed a quarterback. They, did, they haven't, they haven't gone to draft a quarterback in the last 18 years. Right. So they're there. Um, I still think the chargers are valued at 1500. Um, I'm ready to be done with the chargers again. I think the Niners are valued. At 1500 I'm not doing, too, but I'm not going near teams. Brandon. I'm not going near Brandon Staley. I'm sorry. I'm just He's learning. He's learning on the job. We're going to be all right. Malik Willis minus 200 on FanDuel right now. And yep. as you said, the over under the over is three and a half, which is plus one forty six. That seems that seems uh, a little risky. I find Did, it hard to believe yeah. four quarterbacks yeah. are no, going to go in the first so. round. Right? I think I think it's under. I I know that it opened with like a little bit of juice. Like I think I should get it like minus one twenty five for under three and a half quarterbacks. I'm I'm sure it's more now. Um, it also it is pro day pro day circuit time, right? We did like literally back to back. Malik Willis Pro Day, the Matt Corral Pro Day, the Desmond Ritter Pro Day. So all of a sudden you're seeing Corral in round one mock drafts. So he hasn't been there in like six months. It's because of the Pro Day thing. So if there is a window to hit under on the quarterbacks, it'd be right now because this is when they're, they're getting the most, you know, kind of hype, a couple tweets, you know, throwing the ball real far, all the good stuff. Great firm handshake. Yeah. Love <laughs> it. Where does Baker Mayfield end up? Is he a starter next year? This is the, he went from a bunch of progressive insurance commercials to he can't, I think we've actually swung too far the other way because he was the most hurt right. quarterback I watched last year. It's not, this guy came, you know, they they were in the ballpark and beating the Chiefs in the AFC title game two years ago. And then he was completely hurt last year. I'm not a huge fan, but this seems right. silly. I'm in the that, exact same boat where it's, listen, I, I, I no love lost for me with Baker Mayfield, but the best Baker we've seen over the course of his career, college and pro is pissed off Baker. And this is pissed off Baker, right? This guy hates doubters and like for the last two years he like kind of hasn't actually had any he's kind of had to like make them up in the cleveland media even though generally yeah. they've just been like honest with him uh now you know the mistreatment with all oh, the browns you know whatever and like setting the letter early and yada yada all that nonsense uh he seems really pissed and this baker has been good baker i think oh brother i think he ends up in seattle i would guess right now i don't which, mind it i i don't and by the way if i'm seattle i want to pick yeah, I, I'll, ta- I'll take Baker, but you also give me a third round and we'll give right. you a fifth round or right. something like that because I'm doing you a favor getting him off 
Like Cleveland Absolutely, made the yes. Watson trade and they're stuck with the Mayfield contract. So why was anybody doing them a favor and taking the contract? Yeah. It's so it's so funny because at first I forgot the Browns still have to trade Mayfield. It's like Mayfield right. was working out with like Danny Amendola this week. Like he's working out with free agent receivers like across the country, right? which is what you do when you don't have a team. But he's on a team right now. Uh, and so it is weird. But right, I think that, yeah, if you can, if you can put Cleveland, you know, put the screws to them and get them to give you something to take Baker. Why not? It's another swing at the plate of like maybe a quarterback working for you. And, and it kind of depends on how the draft goes. You have Carolina at six, the Falcons at eight and the Seahawks at nine, if memory serves correctly. And whoever doesn't get the guy they wanted out of that group. And obviously you've got like the Steelers as a wild card trading up. Washington is a wild card trading up. That team would be well served to just bring in Baker and kind of see what it looks like for a year. There's, no risk, no harm, no foul. And if he hits for you and he's a functional starter, it's just a little bit of flexibility over your two, three-year team horizon. I mean, is he better than Davis Mills? Probably. I kind of like Davis Mills, yeah. but it's yeah. like, think of some of the guys who are going to be starting next year. He's is he better, better than, than Daniel Locke. Jones? Is he better he, than Drew Locke? Come uh, on. Dan- Daniel Jones is a tricky one. The fumbler? Yes, but when he's not fumbling, he's, he's pretty good. Kyle. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's Kyle. Kyle, don't turn the camera on. Please don't turn the camera on. Leave the camera off. I do. There's a 1% chance that worries me about the Pats trading for Mayfield. Whoa. <laughs> Why? I have no inside information at all. Right. Because that draft, Belichick tried to trade up to get Baker Mayfield. I forgot about this. I forgot about this. They yeah, fucking, yeah. He fucking loved Baker Mayfield. Like, like loved him. Oh, man. So I'm just wondering if it gets to the point where he's just sitting there and we know Belichick, Kyle, don't turn the camera on. Keep the fucking camera off. If he looks at this and goes, my God, this guy I loved four years ago who went to the AFC title game and then last year was hurt the whole year, keep the camera off, had a broken shoulder basically, (laughs) and now is this distressed asset and we could just swoop in and get him, I'm doing that. I am worried. I don't want them to do this. For content's sake. I would love that. That'd be incredible, especially with Baker and Mac being so not only like so different how they play, but such different like people in general. The comparisons would be absurd. Um, you know who else loves Baker Mayfield though is John Dorsey, and he's in the Detroit Lions front office right now, and that kind of makes sense for Detroit. You know, br- bring me your your bad failed West Coast play action offense quarterbacks, <laughs> and I will make them right and also not have to spend any money on quarterback <laughs> while I'm rebuilding this roster. Detroit makes sense too. He should go to Seattle. Yeah. And I think that the makes funniest the most sense thing for is him and them. we both have a lot of Seattle people in our life, and it would be hilarious. Yes. I repeat, hilarious to watch themselves talk themselves into Baker Mayfield. I keep on over anytime, the course of a anytime, couple of days. Anytime we mention Baker on the draft pod, I'm always like, Danny. Future Seahawks quarterback. All right. Baker Mayfield to the Seahawks. Baker, Drew Locke, camp battle. It's like Matt Flynn versus Russell Wilson. It's the exact same thing. Do you think Danny has gone on pro football reference and studied the 2020 Baker Mayfield game log and looked at some of the wins and tried to talk himself into it a little bit? I bet he has. He's been busy. Calvin's in the terrible twos right now. He seems pretty tired. So I don't think so. But I think he (laughs) will with the swiftness. I think it's a very easy (laughs) argument to make for yourself once your team does trade for Baker Mayfield. All right, Ben Solak, you can read his take on the Tyreek Hill trade on The Ringer, and you can hear him on The Ringer Draft Show. And you're coming back here. I'm, 
I know you and Sharp are going to do some draft bets, but I, I want you guys to come on here and we're just going to go all out like a week before and really yeah. like go all in once and for all and do like a five hour draft show with like 130 bets. Let's let let's tell the books to get some freaking over unders on on the market. Please. I know. Thank you. Been a light year. Listen, I know we hammered them last year, but I didn't think we got them so bad. They were going to post them this year. This is this is very disappointing. The books do not want us to bet the Oscars or the NFL draft or the NBA draft. They just want to steer us away from the most fun bets, but we'll, we'll work on them. All right, Ben, good to see you. Thanks, Bill. All right, you know I'm from TheRinger.com. You know I'm from This Is Bus. Take Hunter. Tyler Parker is here. We are going to talk about um, OKC and Jimmy Butler, and then the Tyler Awards for the 2022 NBA season. I want to start with Jimmy Butler because it's fresh. Priscilla led his podcast with it today. Did a whole thing about how, how Butler has burned his bridge in every city he's been in. I was so fascinated. It's been a while with the NBA. I mean, the Artest Melee is obviously the peak. That's the granddaddy. That's the 10 out of 10 of just right. rewatching the same thing over and over again, noticing new things each time. Yes. I watched the multiple angles, thank God for Twitter, <laughs> of of the Jimmy Butler thing blowing up. And I each time I would become fascinated by something else. Yeah. Like, one time I was watching just Karam Butler, who's just not moving for um for 40 seconds, who's just so unimpressed by any sort of it, animosity. It's amazing how just undisturbed he sort of is at that point. He's al- it's almost like he's like looking at that he saw like did someone like someone knocked on his door and he came outside to look and it's like, Oh, there's no one there. <laughs> well, he's he like, he's like in line at the, at the Jack in the box, waiting, waiting for his order. <laughs> just as the whole team is combusting around him. Then you had Duncan Robinson, who I felt like looked like the almost famous drummer during the plane crash scene where he's like, Oh man, can't we just get, can we just get some food and I'll get along and just has this kind of panicked look on his face. He wants no part of it. Uh, Spose faces. Oh my I, God. Spo, Spo. Who knew? Who knew he had it in him? Spo, like he was doing the thing, especially once he got up. Like there, at first, you know, you could tell he's like, he couldn't even believe it was happening to him. Yeah. He had the, like, are you fucking kidding me? Look at it. It was face. like a, it was like, a, is, are, so is this actually what's about to happen? Is what's happening the thing that is this going to continue to happen to me? What's happening right now? Is this going to, is this actually happening? I'm going to fight my player. He had that yeah. vibe to him. And then once he got up, he, cause he got up to go, to go, you know, <laughs> talk to him some more after it. And that's when he came with the unbelievable, unbelievably graceful, very accurate, perfect touch on with the clipboard going down. Really nice. Made a oh, sound even on the, on the audio. Made and didn't have to, and didn't have to get aggressive with it really. Like there was obviously aggression behind it, but he could have, he could have been reckless with it and broke the clipboard and that clipboard's fine today. That clipboard, you can use that again today. <laughs> yeah, they, it's no probable problem. for tonight's game. Absolutely. The scatters, the, the, the papers scattered in multiple directions, which is I think what you want in that scenario. If you're Spo, you want, you know, a, a little bit of an explosion there. But we had, have, you know, we had the PJ Tucker, the, the yeah. kind of triple take look <laughs> yeah. away, like, oh my God, is this, are, is my, my, my teammate and coach about to have a fight in the huddle? It took me a little bit to see it on, I, and I forget what she, but it might be the, it, I, I think it's the behind the bench angle. It was like the first angle that came out, yeah. not the Warriors broadcast yeah. angle, but the behind the one with the laughing emojis or yeah. whatever. It. You can see at a certain point when uh, Haslam is like fully, fully in it, you know, 
Yeah. You can see, I think it's Caleb Martin is the Martin brother that's on the heat. You can see him. He does like the get back coach in college football <laughs> move where he right. grabs him by the waist. And you can tell he's like, I, he feels he has to do it. He can't not do it like because of what's about to happen, but he does not want to be grabbing Haslam's. No, <laughs> he does not, you know. Yeah. And I think Haslam is, can go from zero to 10. It seems like faster than maybe anybody. And he, I, this is one of the reasons you have Haslam on the bench. There was a clear violation. The player crossed some sort of line and Haslam's immediately. I love the pointing to the, the pointing to the runway is one of my yeah. favorites too. That's it's great. Like, I don't feel like if you and I are in an altercation, we're not pointing to right. let's go underneath where we could just settle this. And only one of us is going to come out of the runway. No, Haslam just went there immediately. It's we'll go great, over there. It's, great nonverbal shorthand you know you just it's just you, we just we all you know what it means and it's good for nba fights because a lot of times they're they're getting pulled away from each other or whatever and so you don't have to be able to speak loud enough to where the guy can hear you you just body language it right he body languaged it and the other one who body language it was spo I'm trying to remember. So this is like a random altercation that ultimately mean nothing other than the Heat fans are going to get super upset because everyone's been making Heat culture jokes for the last 18 hours. <laughs> the the Spo, the, everything about it was so impressive. It was pretty unbelievable. He, it's, he was already one of my favorite coaches. I got, when I was doing the finals for two years, we got, we would interview him before the games. He was just cool, you know, because yeah. the announcers get to go so we can do our whole thing where we go, well, when we talked to Spo after the game, oh, so we yeah, did that just, with yeah. him once or twice, um, but then hung out with him at the ESPYs one year. He's just like the greatest guy. He's like beloved at NBA circles. All the other coaches love him. Yeah. He went through a whole bunch of shit with those LeBron teams where LeBron, LeBron was ready to fire him or get him fired after the yeah, second year. Yeah, they bumped year. into him, right? Yeah, there was yeah. some stuff, but he handled it perfectly. And then this one, like, checked every box. Like, he, when he stands up, Butler yeah. stands up, and Spo stands up and it's like, he's kind of getting in between him and Haslam, but he's also kind of like, I'm fucking right here, dude. If you, you know, there, there was a physicality to it that I enjoyed. There's a, there's a, when he, when he does, you know, they, they've, they've gone, the players have gone away from the bench and he has come back around and there he's thrown the, he's thrown the clipboard and he's still so fired up, but there's still that thing in his head. That's like, I'm in public and a lot of people are watching this. <laughs> right. I can't people have go, phones. I can't go ballistic. And so it looks like he's trying to like, you know, like hold in like a, he's like he's constipated or something. Like he's yeah. so upset. The, 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 there's so much rage there, but he doesn't want to step over into like he can't he doesn't want to go into Haslam territory. Right. And yeah. then Butler who reined himself in, it seemed like a little bit. Because if he had escalated at all, it, we, it would have been a situation. I was at the game when Durant and Draymond went at each other. And I actually have a cell phone video of it because I started taping it at one point. Were you right behind the bench? I was behind the bench closer to the Clippers side. Wow. But I was watching it because I saw them get mad at each other as they were walking up the court. So I kind of followed them. And everybody else, it was about to go to overtime. But I was like, uh-oh. Like I, I could just see it. And then by all of a sudden people are standing and Boogie Cousins is involved. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, I'm filming it with my phone. Yeah. Uh, these things are great. Ultimately, we love to do the thing after the fact where people are like, it means nothing. This is what happens on the court. Yeah. I'm a proponent of that 97% of the time, but that sometimes it does mean something. 
it I meant would, something that night with Durant and Draymond, like, and everybody was like, it's fine. It was like, it did not seem fine. It seemed like it had crossed the line. And I wonder with the heat, like, did this cross the line or not? I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it might, I mean, you know, like a butler seems to be pretty, uh, you know, comfortable with conflict. Like, I don't know, maybe he just sort of moves forward, whatever. I, it, 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 I, I, I'm generally with you that usually it is just like heat of the moment. Like, okay, like it, we can, we're all yeah, professionals. We can move on from this. It's, it's, it's no big. It was funny to watch. My, my favorite things in those sort of situations are when they involve people or you know when when the people that aren't involved get asked about it and so kyle lowry has to go get asked about all of this last night and he doesn't even want to look up while he's talking because why would he this is a miserable experience for him to try to talk his you know sort of act like this is no big deal and he said he was like it's nothing and you know just one of those he's like well it's not nothing it's probably like it's it probably won't ultimately like you know, they'll be how successful they're going to be, you know, regardless whether that fight happens or not, maybe who knows, but it's not nothing <laughs> like that's Well, something. I look at it like when you're at a basketball game, it's like being in a giant restaurant. And if I'm at a restaurant and three tables down, people start screaming at each other and stand up and somebody's pointing to meet them <laughs> outside and they throw the menu down. We'd all be in the restaurant like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a fight? Yeah, well, and if if you go home, if you like weren't with it, like if I wasn't with my wife and I went home and that had happened at the restaurant and she was like, hey, how, what, how was dinner? Uh, what happened? Be the and first said, thing you would say. And I said nothing. That would <laughs> right. be true. That would right. be true. That would not be my answer. So then the other outcome, once people are digesting us on Twitter and trying to find out more, it, it was one, one of the rare fun Twitter days. I think Twitter is the seventh circle of hell. But (laughs) in this case, it was kind of fun. It was kind of trying to find out if there were more video angles, all that stuff. And then, then there was this narrative after mostly driven by the Miami fans who were like, Oh, at least we finally got people talking about us. Yeah. They do that thing. It's like, we've been talking about you the whole year. The the rigors written multiple stories. KOC's done videos about Tyler hero. We've talked about bam on this. I mean, we've talked about the heat a bunch. We've, Everybody who knows anything about basketball is like, yeah, don't want to play those guys in a playoff series. Just wonder if they're going to be healthy. Yeah, so it seems like I, basketball people for a while were saying that they were the best team in the East. Yeah, and, we're, you know, we're I, talking I mean, about it, them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. The, the one thing that's happened this year is that there's been too much LeBron talk, but because it's LeBron, but it just seems like every Laker game is covered like it's this massive event and they're 10 games under 500. It's like LeBron scored 38 against the OKC Thunder. <laughs> uh, we got to talk about the OKC Thunder quick and then we'll do the awards. Okay. So you're a diehard OKC fan. You're Poku's Last Believer. That's your new book, actually. It's called Poku's Last Poku's Believer. Poku's Last Believer. All right. It's man. coming out in June. Um, you have a really nice backcourt. The Giddy thing worked out. You must love Giddy. I, I, I love Giddy. I'm stoked. I mean, don't get me wrong. Would I rather have Evan Mobley? Yeah. But I love Giddy. Like okay. Giddy's there, there's I, I, when, when we drafted him, I was terrified because the shooting was so bad and it's proven to not be great. It's not, it's not good yet. He's changing his form after the summer. They've already talked about that, Uh-oh. which is good. I think because it looks so weird when he shoots it now, the, he, he's 77%, I think on his free throws, which is a good, you know, that's encouraging. Um, 
I, yeah, I'm choosing to kind of just throw you know, a free just, throw stat at me. I thought, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to wow. break out all sorts of all, is free throws. <laughs> break well, all sorts of what, stuff. what I like about it is he teams nicely with SGA as a combo. Yeah. They make sense to me together. And now you start thinking about who would be the perfect guy from this draft class. Russell and I talked about it. It Jabari, you put Jabari on this team, just it would be great. But there's this Chet Holmgren wild card piece. Right. Where do you st- I know you have a Chet opinion. Everyone, he's become the most polarizing draft prospect in a while. Where where do you stand? I I like Vasilite Wildwood. There's a there's like a part of me that thinks that if we took him, it would be an absolute disaster. <laughs> and then there is another part of me that's like, no, this guy's a footer that can, you know, bring the yeah. ball, ball up the floor and, you know, take threes above the break and all sorts of stuff and, you know, protect the rim, blah, 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 all that sort of thing. Like, I, I don't, I see what people are excited about. I, I, I was like, a, I was a Paolo guy for a long, long time. Man, and then everybody got going on Jabari at the beginning of this year. And I, I honestly don't know what I haven't, I haven't like, you know, I'll, I'll go down my, you know, hopeful deep dive, you know, here soon. But the, the, I want Shay and Giddy to have a lob threat that can do something with the ball in his hands. I want to, I want a five that is a threat when he's got it kind of wherever he is. And, um, Somebody that can go catch lobs. I mean, that's if, if you give if you give Giddy and Shea a guy like that. I mean, Shea, Shea's numbers. You look at Shea's numbers when he's playing with somebody like Muscala, who just like he's just, who's just a good shooter. Mm. It, he's so plays so much freer, so much more room to work with. Like, I mean, you know, Giddy's stuff would be, the Giddy's uh, you know shooting issues would you know. It wouldn't be as big of a thing if we just got a big that could, you know, do a little bit offensively. Well, it is a good passer. Yeah. So you'd have a couple guys who could move the ball. You would have a, a white guy who's even more awkward than Poku. <laughs> I think that that takes a lot of pressure on Poku as the token awkward white guy. I mean, that's a, that's one of the I think that's one of the few compliments I've ever heard you give Poku. <laughs> is the, he's not quite as awkward as one of the strangest looking prospects in the <laughs> How does an awkward looking um, kind of unicorny white guy fit in with the OKC kind of fan base, what they're looking for? Uh, could, this, I mean, could this be a natural fit? I mean, thousand percent. <laughs> but I, but I, would say, I would say that we uh, as a, we as a fan base, um, if you come, if you show up and you want to be there and you play hard, like, hey, that's it. We will, we will, we will love you very, very much. The Ch- the Chet stuff, yeah. The the Chet stuff. I have I I because all this all, all the smart draft people are like this guy's you know this this guy's a could be a monster, all that stuff. I just yeah. I, I, I would rather take him at three than one. My 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 hot take that I that I don't actually believe, but like you know maybe in like five years I'll believe it. Yeah, is that. I would never draft a white American ever. <laughs> okay. We got to work on that on the hottest day. <laughs> just cross them off the draft boards. There's, there hasn't been a first team all NBA American white dude since I think like the one year Mark Price was it or something. And Is I that think true? Like, 
Yeah, you're right. Kevin Love was only second team. And I think before that, I mean, I think before that, it's Bird, pretty much. There might have been one year where Stockton might have got first team one year, maybe. But, like, that's it. (laughs) Which, that's a ridiculous... When I used to do my MVP column when I was a writer, back when my fingers were... Oh, yeah. I I used to hand out... Maybe it was for that or the trade value. He used to hand out the McKeskey Award, the Paul McKeskey Award for the best white guy each year. Kevin Love won it like four straight years. He was just like cruising, taking it down. Um, All right. Speaking of awards, it's time. Okay. The Tyler Awards for the 2022 season. The the only instructions you had for this were the weird and the wacky, the things that you just gravitated to as somebody who loves the underbelly of the NBA, (laughs) who loves the weird stuff, who enjoys things like Kyle Lowry watching Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolster about to get into an argument. And he just says, fuck this. And he's out and he walks onto the court. (laughs) Not not even going to try to intervene. That's the stuff that you love as a basketball fan. Yes. Yeah. Your, yeah. Your, your, your text said, uh, it was NBA characters of the year, your personal MVP ballot from a character slash comedy slash social media ruckus standpoint. (laughs) Great. All right. Let's hear it. What you want, you want, what, what are we doing? We work in, uh, five to one, one to five. Let's go five to one. Let's build some drama. All right, let's do it. Let's get, let's get, you know, I think that for, I think that for five, we're going to kick it off with, uh, with Joel Embiid. Okay. Let's hear it. Specific, the specific, a lot of these are just specifically for kind of one thing, maybe yeah. some of them, they've, 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 they've built up, you know, a lot of, uh, they, they've, 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 you know, got a lot of notches in their belt. Yeah. But this is specifically just because after the, after the Simmons trade, he uh, tweeted uh, a picture of the the funeral, the, the guy who goes to the funeral for his number one hater. And he has and he's like dressed in the like all black or whatever that. Have you seen that? picture? Yep. Um, he tweeted that after they traded Simmons. And then when someone asked him about it, he said, I saw the picture on the Internet and thought he was well dressed. And that was his so, answer. There was, was a, there answer. was no underlying message in the tweet at all. I just liked his, I just liked his clothes. I thought he was. I thought. I, I mm. thought he looked good that day. I that, actually. I would add to that award, which I think is the right spot for him. Unbelievable job of reining himself in about the Ben Simmons thing as the season it. went along. You think like every day, the most annoying person in your life, which for him was probably Ben Simmons. Yeah. And reporters are just like, hey, what's up with this Ben Simmons thing? Yeah. Think about it. Did you see what Ben said? And, and he just never took the bait. I was always impressed. It's some, it's, it really is impressive that it was that it wasn't more because it could have been. I mean, it was open season in a way, I guess. But it could have it could have could have been a lot. A yeah, lot it could have been. All right. Number four. Um, Number four uh, are uh, I, 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 I cheated here a little bit and I put the Currys. I have Steph and Aisha here at four. Um, <laughs> the married couple, I like it. Uh, and, and and you know specifically just because of the uh, the beat the Currys game during the about last night promo that happened in between the three point contest and the dunk contest. <laughs> they got I, food. If you know if uh, I don't I don't know why. That doesn't happen every year. That should probably replace the dunk contest at this point. <laughs> is just that they should bring they should bring two chains and yeah. Sheila Epps back every year. Bring Stephanie Reddy back every year. Um, yeah. I've never. Yeah, I. I so I, you'd I, rather have that than three ball? I, I. I mean, based off of this year, I'd rather have that than the dunk contest at this point. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I mean, Steph should be in the like the actual MVP discussion way more just based on the strength of that segment alone. I think. I mean, that's it was just. It's fair. It should get factored in three point shooting and 
the win loss record when he's not playing and, and stuff like the, that. It, and that whoever the stylist was there, or is you know sort of like the uh, you know Utah chic vibe there that uh, mm. Steph and Aisha had. I was a big fan of that. All right, number three. Number three. Let's go with. Uh, and it, it was it's just I mean, I've been happy with this with the Renaissance just period, like I know a lot of people have. But when uh, Boogie and James Harden got into it the other night and Boogie's response to Harden getting in his face was just to start laughing at him. Yeah. And then when until that, it, you know, until just it ended, that was sometimes you see NBA guys do that and you can tell they're doing that because they think like, Oh, this will be a cool thing to do. Like they're like processing the situation and how they look in their head and everything. And Boogie is just, he's just like, I can't believe that you're trying to act like you're, t- I mean, there's that, there's that yeah picture that was going around on Twitter at the beginning of last year before Harden finally, you know, ate his way out of Houston with, <laughs> <laughs> Boogie it, during warmups, like whenever Harden had been away from the team or whatever, during one of the first, you know, I don't know if it was a preseason game or whatever, Boogie's like pointing at him, and you can see in the picture that Boogie's telling him something that, he, that he's displeased, and Harden does, right. is not, you know, he's not into it. It's not a great relationship matchup. It uh, not a lot of overlap on the Venn diagram of those two personalities. No, no, I think the, the the Gottman method probably wouldn't work for them very well. With uh... <laughs> I'm with you though. Though there's two versions of the I'm laughing at you, and the one is the I've actually made a calculated decision to do the I'm laughing at you, and yeah. the other one is the I'm genuinely laughing at you. Right, and that's what he managed to pull off there, which was really special. Some of it's the like I the, the whole like oh I'm, I'm not so i'm not i'm not so i'm not mad i'm just i'm actually laughing this is actually funny to me at this point when it's yeah. actually like no dude it's not everyone in the world is making fun of you right now it's not funny to you at this point it's yeah. you, you're hating this that the, yeah it was that was sort of the I, I love seeing boogie just being boogie again you know like that's yeah it's fun to see it's fun to see him with the swagger which is just not earned at all at this point of his career <laughs> but it's fine all right number two on your list um Number two on my list is Harden. Yeah. I mean, wow. I, what a, what a performance for him on the list. He makes it no, two out of the five times. Great three job. Different appearances. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was necessary, but like he had, a, he, he did a presser in Philly and I wrote this cause I wanted to get it right. He did a presser in Philly where basically he said that last year he didn't have the option to pick his landing spot. And he yeah. said, I wish it worked like that. An organization has to do what's best for their team. It didn't work like that. I had to go to Brooklyn. And there's <laughs> like it's you know, honestly an insane quote. It's, it's insane. Ins- it's it's like there are sourced quotes from him saying, get me to Brooklyn and stuff like it. You know, it, it, it I just love the, you know, like at one point I remember Mello saying that he didn't actually ask out of Denver. Like yeah. I want to move into a, it seems like and it seems like we're getting there where just like, you know, truth is is pretty much just relative and that it's just sort of like we, everybody just gets to say what actually happened. I think that that's a really exciting time. You know who's the master of this is LeBron. Well, he's not a, if you go he, back, he's not a score. Nobody say he's not a score. Go back Nobody to 2014 when he goes to Cleveland and it's all about it's time for me to come back home and finish my career and all this stuff. He's right. there four years. He's out. He went to LA. <laughs> but they, he has a lot of stuff that 
you can contradict because he's been around for 20 years and he's yeah. given 10 million press conferences and he's yeah. probably like me. He can't remember what he said half the time. <laughs> sure, sure. He's like, oh shit, did I? Oh yeah, you're right. I did say I don't want to be judged as a scorer. <laughs> Forget that. And he got to go back. The Harden thing is outrageous though because he pushed his way to Brooklyn with Durant. They lobbied them hard. It was he was going to end up in while. Philly. It was in the he wanted to go there. Like it was, and then when he got there, he was like, "This is where I want to be. I'm so excited. This is great. I'm so happy to play with my friend Kevin Durant." And then a year later, it's like I never wanted to be there. Now, what's he going to do when it doesn't work out in Philly? Which it seems like we're headed that way. I don't know what is his move then. I just need to be the guy. I mean, his when he there's just there's something of there's 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 some obliviousness there because after whenever they played the nets and the nets torched him and he didn't show up with his, his first game back against the nets yeah and then either a day later or two days later or something he like tweeted out that video that was just kind of like a vlog of so you know like a, of that that game like that sort yeah. of it was just sort of like I mean, maybe it's maybe it's an unbelievable troll move or it's performance art or something, in which case, you know, the hat's off. But I that was that made me so happy when I saw him tweet that video. That was just so funny. The way he handles basketball is very similar to the way I one of the aspects of my relationship with my wife where somebody's got to feed we have four dogs, which is just insane. That's a lot um, of dogs. But we got to feed the dogs in the morning and. I'll go down in the morning, I'll make coffee and I'll feed the dogs like three out of four times. Then the fourth time I just was like, fuck it. I'm not feeding the dogs. And, <laughs> and then if she's like, I thought you were going to feed the dogs. It's like, I fed the dogs three of the last four days. <laughs> That's kind of hard. It's attitude about basketball. Yeah. It's like, it's like what happened against that Philly game? It's like, it's fine. Two days ago I had 42 against Sacramento and it's like, yeah, but this was on TNT and this was against your old team. And, you do get a sense that he's like keeping like a mental note or whatever. And he's like, dude, I played hard on Monday, man. I don't need to play hard today. <laughs> I, I looked at my stats. They're really good. I don't, <laughs> why are you giving me shit? Yeah, he doesn't see it. All right. Now I can't wait. The number one character of the year for you. 2022 it, season. God, I'm on the edge of my seat. I cheated again. I went with the Jokic bros. Mm. You know, they were the odds on favorite on FanDuel to get this. I'm not, I'm not shocked. I, I mean, I was, it was, I was pissed that I couldn't bet on it, but I, you know, not Fair. trying to, um, I was going to make a joke about that football guy, but who's the guy? <laughs> Calvin Ridley. You're going to Calvin Ridley it? Decided not to. The, um, so this is like with a big caveat of, if I, th there's that Jokic brothers Twitter account that got created the night that Markeith Morris gave the little elbow to Jokic and then Jokic ran right. Markeith Morris over and, and night, knocked him out for half the season. It's, it, it, he, he didn't play again until like a week in, ago. That was in the beginning of November and he didn't play again until uh, March 12th. And we learned a valuable lesson about bullying. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't mess with, uh, with don't uh, mess with the Jokic's. Yeah. The, the Morris brother tweets, waited till bro turned his back. Shaking my head. Noted. And then he yeah. did the did the writing emoji, which is one that I think that a lot of people forget about. And I like it. And I just I, I would like <laughs> What's to just the writing it. emoji. It's like a hand with like a pin, you know? And, the, and, it, and, and then he says noted. I like that. I think that that's oh, like a nice he's, combo. He's literally noting it with the emoji. He, yes. Okay, he's, gotcha. he's, he, yeah, he's he's you know, I I I appreciate the visual. Yeah. The uh <laughs> they responded to that with 
you should leave this alone instead of publicly threatening our brother. Yeah. Your brother, your brother <laughs> made a dirty play first. If you want to make a step further, be sure we will be waiting for you. Oh yeah. And like, and, and there is a world where this is some just that it's not real, but that's, it is, they not, um, it wasn't even a month later. The, like the video started going around in like late November, right before December, something like that. The, the Jokic, Jok, the Jokic and his brothers were in some club in Miami. Yeah. And like playing the Serbian national anthem. And there was like a big sign that said like NBA MVP, you know, and it, and it was just one of those things. It's like, Oh yeah, these guys are just, they don't, they, they don't care about it, you know, and look at them. Why would they, you know, you got tattoos on the back of your neck. You're not, you know, I, I don't, I don't have anything. To, I don't have anything to say, you, can, you know, sure. It's amazing that we found an NBA player who has two brothers that are somehow not intimidated by the Morris brothers. Just the fact that we got there, but I, you could do a podcast on the history of NBA stars and their brothers or family members. <laughs> Cause I remember when we were doing the Bill and Jalen stuff one year, we did a whole thing about Tony Parker's nightclub that he opened in San Antonio that was run by his brother that immediately right. went to the ground and we had pictures of it and the name. And it was like, Tony, what were the ads? Tony Parker's brother was going to open a successful nightclub in San Antonio, like what, 20 to one. It's pretty, it's pretty wild that like, I mean, it was the it was the the Suns game last year when the brothers like tried to come out of the stands on right, right. Oh yeah, they got mad. Uh, they got it was Booker, right? Yeah, they didn't like it. They didn't like something. Yeah, the Jokic no, I mean, those... brothers, man. I you know I feel like the NBA is both overcovered and undercovered. LeBron is the most overcovered guy we've had really since since uh, the heyday of Kobe. And on the flip side, the Jokic brothers, like, why wouldn't they, what's that NBA show that Malika Andrews hosts where it's like coming out of the gate. It's like, is this team for real? And let, let's oh, go the to jump? Woj. Woj. Yeah. No, it's not called the jump anymore. It's whatever oh, they it's change called. It. Oh, okay. And it's like, let's go to Woj. Woj has some information on a contract extension. Yeah. To me, I would just start with the Jokic brothers. Like, here's what's new with the Jokic brothers today. If LeVar, and you know, LeVar's been vindicated in a lot of ways. If LeVar Ball can go on first take, I don't see why the Jokic brothers can't go on there and, and debate Stephen That's A. a great point. Maybe they should come on here. Jokic brothers, I'm extending an invitation. It's called NBA Today, by the way. Uh, would, if the Jokic brothers come on, would you like to join as the fourth? I would love, oh, I'd love to four-man pod that. I'd love to get in on that. All right. Writing emoji to you. Great job at the list. Congratulations to the Jokic brothers for winning Tyler's Character of the Year. We can read you. What's your next piece on The Ringer? Next one on the ringer. Um, I'm not sure what it is yet. I don't know. All right. Well, I look forward to reading it. Good okay. to see you as always. You too. Thanks for having me, Bill. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to you, Kyle Mann. Thanks to Ben Solak. Thanks to Tyler Parker. Thanks to producer Kyle Creighton as always. Thanks to Dylan Burke and Steve Cerruti. I will see you on Sunday night with Ryan Rossillo. But if you, if you don't want to wait that long, I'm going to be on the ringer gambling show with House and JJ on Friday morning. So I will see you there or I'll see you in this feed on Sunday. Have a good week.